I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're back going through all of our draft grades, Sam. We're halfway through, and today it's all about the NFC South and the NFC West. Halfway. So soon? So soon. Yeah. It's only taken us four hours to get there. That's right. We're going to have about eight hours of draft grade content. Everyone everyone else just does a draft grade review show, mm. try to cram it into an hour. Nope. Not, not us. Here. Eight hours of goodness here. Uh-huh. Where are we going now? The NFC. Okay. The West and the South. The West and the South. Which means the AFC South. How hard could it be? Always last. Mm. AFC West. That'll be tomorrow, Thursday morning, 10.30 a.m. Appreciate sure everybody you, live here on YouTube. Just make sure you don't forget Tennessee again. Might. There's still a chance. They're going to be the last team. It's going to be the Titans. And, uh, you know, just crushing Titans fans again. So uh, tell your friends to come watch us right now. We're live talking NFC West and NFC South. What you got going on? What's going on? Anything? No. I'm sitting here for a podcast now. What do you got going on? I'm going to podcast. We're going to talk some grades. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do what we've been doing. Uh, Renee Bugner over on Twitter. Has he added to this uh, 29 evaluations? I'm using the 29 evaluations tweet. Yeah, I haven't checked if there's, uh, if there's been additions. Uh, Renee's done a really nice job accumulating draft grades from all various sources, 29 different sources with uh, a, a GPA, you know, averaging all of the various grades. So uh, we'll be using that to reference what the draft, draft grades are. We'll give you PFF's draft grades. And um, I forget where we're starting. So we'll start with the NFC South or West. Where do you want to start? Let's go West. It's in the title first. Okay. NFC West. So who would be first in the NFC West? <laughs> the Rams? What? Who's first? Arizona. I don't remember. Arizona Cardinals. The one that begins with A. I usually write it down. I'm unprepared. I was talking to Eric, having a little heart-to-heart upstairs. Okay. And here we are. Arizona Cardinals. They're up first in our uh, NFC West draft review, and they finished 25th in the consensus rankings. Harsh. B-minus from PFF. Cold. As well as Rickelson and Truscott. I think that's what the name. Keep keep bringing those guys up on every show. You're welcome, Rickelson, that we keep bringing you guys up because you're right next to PFF there. Um, so they both uh, we both gave B minuses us and Rickelson mm. B minus for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the big move that they made though is trading their first rounder for Marquise Brown. So I wonder if that has been baked in, which we can count to the by our rules, by set. your rules in particular. Yes, that counts. What are your thoughts on that Cardinals move first, and then while we're here, we can talk about the Andre Hop- the Andre Hopkins news where he is out for the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, and I I suspect those are connected. Like I'm, it, I mean, happened. Nuke knew this back in like November, I think. Yeah, like he so knew this, it a while ago. the Cardinals knew that this was coming down the pipe, so they went and made a move for a wide receiver. Like they, they're going to lose their number one receiver for six games. They went that that has to have played into how much they were willing to move to go get Marquise Brown. Uh, then you add in 
okay, now it's Marquise Brown, pairs up with Kyler Murray, teammates at Oklahoma. Um, great connection to Oklahoma, obviously. Kyler Murray and this Cardinals offense, I think, is a better fit for Marquise Brown than the Baltimore Ravens offense and Lamar Jackson, which he was agitating to get away from. So I think he's probably worth more to Arizona than he was to Baltimore, even before you get to the idea that even more so now they're going to be without a receiver for six games. Uh, The downside, obviously, is another player who at some point his contract is coming up. And, you know, you're already running out of guys that you want to pay money to. But I do think that one motivating factor is losing DeAndre Hopkins. I think another one is they're not giving Kyler Murray his money now, right? So if you're not going to pay him, you can make him a little bit happier by bringing in his favorite receiver from college. I I mean, that was my, my initial take on a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I actually I broke it down on day two of the NFL Draft Live. I'm gonna I'm gonna rehash it right here mm-hmm. because you and I have gone in depth with Kyler Murray and Instagram and what it means. Right? What does it mean when Kyler Murray or Debo Samuel or whoever deletes their references to their team? What does it mean? I mean, it is it's a strong statement. It is a statement of discontent. Right? Kyler Murray is upset with the Cardinals. Mm. And then we, we theorized, you know, how do the Cardinals respond? What do they do? You know, someone has to go to Steve Kime and say, how do we respond here on Instagram? And that's not comfortable for Steve Kime, the general manager. It's not comfortable for the Cardinals front office to have to respond to Kyler Murray through Instagram. But what they can do is respond through the draft and through their personnel moves. So this is their response. When Kyler Murray is deleting the Cardinals from their Instagram, the Cardinals... The front office response is not through social media. It's through a first-round trade for Marquise Brown, your old buddy from Oklahoma, a second-round pick on Trey McBride, the best pass-catching tight end in this draft. The Cardinals are trying to make life good for Kyler Murray, and this is their response. A couple months later, but their response to the Instagram fiasco. Yeah, they get a couple of low-round offensive linemen as well that were really good value relative to the, the PFF board and, I I assume, the consensus board. Um, so Arizona, I think, had a pretty good draft in terms of focusing attention on Kyler Murray, which is a pretty good offset to, hey, sit there, be patient, you'll get your money eventually. It's not happening now. We don't want to do it now. Next year. Next year we'll give you your extension if you continue to look like, you know, the leader of this franchise. And here... We'll meet you halfway. We'll give you a receiver. We'll give you a new tight end. We'll give you some offensive line help. Be happy. I, I think this is a pretty good draft for them. So there's another, there's another thing at play here, and you have stated many times, not a big fan of Cliff Kingsbury and maybe the simplicity of the air raid and, you know, hey, we left wide receiver here and you're right wide receiver and there's not a lot of creativity and moving on. I wonder, the Trey, the Trey McBride selection at tight end, does this force the Cardinals to be more creative because right now they had max williams on the team they have zach Ertz on the team max williams is one of the best all-around tight ends when healthy zach Ertz still a decent pass catching tight end he made an impact last year trey mcbride a little bit in between you know he could do both but he is a good movable pass catching option colorado state completely ran their offense through trey mcbride everything they were throwing screens to him they were throwing the ball down the field they were splitting him out wide he is a pass catching tight end with good ball skills they still have DeAndre Hopkins. He'll come back at some point. They have A.J. Green. Now they have Marquise Brown. They have Rondell Moore, mm-hmm. who they drafted last year. Uh, so in part, I think this is, you know, make Kyler happy. It's 
live our you know our strategy out, which is you know flood the field with playmakers. But does this elicit more creativity out of the Cardinals because you have so many pass catchers to work with here? Um, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. if, oh, I set the stage that they were going to force they were going to force Kingsbury's hand. Like, well, how are you going to get Zach Ertz, Mac, Max Williams, and uh, Trey McBride all on the field? How are you going to how are you going to tap into those skill sets? You got to move McBride around a little bit to to maximize him. He was your first selection. It was in the second round. He was your first draft pick here. They're going to do something for him. Yeah, I mean, they're probably not going to get them all on the same on the field at the same time, but. That I don't think that necessarily means they're going to get more creative. I think it probably just means that Max Williams becomes a bench riding number three tight end. Well, if I'm a team, I'm calling. I'm calling about Max Williams. Um, I mean, look, if if they haven't adapted and become more creative with easy wins like moving receivers around yet, I don't think they're going to do it now. I think this is just something they've determined that is part of the offense, whatever they believe the trade off is. And look, generally the theory would be. Certainly at the college level, you keep your guys in the same receiver spot, you are able to operate quicker than the defense because everybody knows where they are and what they're supposed to do. You can line up quickly. You can run, hurry up. There's no time-wasting, essentially, moving guys around, expecting them to learn extra things, and that gives you an advantage. I don't think it does at the next level. Or if it is, it's offset and then some by the advantage it gives the defense of knowing where the good receiver will be. Um, so, look, I, I think it's something they should have already changed. The fact that they haven't suggests that they don't. And if they haven't come to that conclusion by now, they're probably not going to. Like, I, I don't think an addition of a tight end or, you know, a loss of a receiver or whatever is going to immediately cause them to change tack. I think that's just the way this offense works. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Luckily, you've got first pick in selecting the right money moves. Do you need life insurance? What about help planning on your financial goals? Don't pass on this round. No trading down here. Use your position to expand your financial ex- education and learn more with information on life insurance, investing, and retirement planning at westernsouthern.com slash draft. It's westernsouthern.com slash draft. We appreciate Western and Southern presenting sponsor here on the PFF NFL podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, look, I, I was hoping maybe, maybe there'd be more creativity. Regardless, if, if guys are lined up in the same spot or not, They've got a good group of pass catchers. When DeAndre Hopkins comes back, see what A.J. Green still has left. He was a little better than I expected last year. Would you agree? We thought he may have completely lost it. He didn't completely lose it. He was a little better than I expected last year. Marquise Brown has been at his best as a vertical slot threat, something they drafted Andy Isabella to become, and he did not become that. I I like the pieces that they have here in Arizona, and that started with, with Trey McBride. Now the questions become... They had late first round. They had late round offensive linemen for sure. Um, they have a hole at at right guard where Josh Jones just has not panned out whatsoever. Um, so there'll be some competition there. They did go to the trenches for Cameron Thomas, uh, Myjai Sanders, both in round three. I think both of those guys are solid third rounders that can come in and contribute. Cam Thomas from San Diego State, bit of a tweener, could play edge, can play uh, maybe rush from the interior a little bit, but he's two sixty seven. Um, and Sanders, a productive edge. So I, I like both of those players there. I thought it was a solid draft overall. But you're hoping uh, uh, Lesitus Smith maybe comes in and competes at guard. He was a sixth-rounder out of Virginia Tech. I know Renner liked him quite a bit. We, he was much higher on our board. Marquise Hayes, too, from Oklahoma. You might, If you could steal a starter with one of those guards, get some contributions from those defensive linemen, add McBride to the mix as a pass catcher, maximize Marquise Brown. I mean, there's... 
There's a lot of potential here. I'll say that with the Cardinals. Yeah, and look, I also love um, everybody else searching for, you know, giant superstars, big playmakers. The Cardinals going in the other direction. We're going we're gonna to throw all the resources in tiny people. We're going to go like short. While, I, while the rest of the league is zigging, we're going to zag. And we're going to get a whole offense of munchkins. <laughs> now you're going to get Kyler Murray handing it off to Rondale Moore, throwing a pass to Marquise Brown. Tiny everywhere. It's great. You think that's what they were going for? Yeah. They just wanted his buddy. I think Kyler Murray throwing to Rondale Moore might be the shortest combination in NFL, in NFL history. Now you add Marquise Brown into the mix, who's like 5'9". It's true. They are shorter and speedy, twitchy. Maybe yeah. Calvin Austin. They could have been, been with him. That would have been great. Could have been there. Yeah. This is the opposite of the way the Falcons are building their team. Yeah, yeah. They're getting a bunch of six foot five guys. I mean, yeah. Arizona's going the other way. Let's see if the Falcons want to sign me. Did you see the suggestion by uh, Major League reporter, Buster Olney, that when you have baseball brawls, you might need just a six foot six, 350-pound enforcer just to break up the brawl? That's what he'll do. He'll be, the, he'll be a bench coach, but his job is to just break up the brawl. I think I could do that. I mean, when I've seen baseball brawls, they don't tend to be the type of thing that a single person could break up. Yeah, because there's usually only one real fight in the brawl. It's part of the mechanics of it. I've been in there, been in there, been in there. Yeah. <laughs> Mixing it up a little bit. It's just like, oh, put, oh, you're mad at you, you're mad at me. You throw to guys, my teammate. Yeah, you, you, you just, baseball talk's taking off here. Uh-huh. But there's usually like one guy who goes off the rails. And yeah. he's just like losing his mind. Right. And that's the guy you got to slow down. Everyone else, it's like, I'm pushing, I'm shoving, I'm a righty, I don't want to punch. I know if I break my hand, I can't play. Like everybody's got some, some self-awareness. But can you even get to that guy if he's in the middle of the melee? If you're, if you're. If you're fast enough, like and, I am. And big enough. And big enough. Yeah, yeah, you go in, you go get... It was like Paul O'Neill a couple of years ago, just I mean, with the Yankees. Just went nuts. You get the one guy who goes crazy. You get, that's the guy you got to break up. I could do that. It's my path to the you big You never league. get there. I would get there in time. You don't have that kind of pace. Everybody's running from the same place. Right. Which He's means you'll be last. For one punch. For one punch. Everybody's I, running from the same place, which means you'll be behind them. No, I wouldn't. Like, Izzy Alcantara, he's the guy who kicks the catcher in the head and then went to the mound and tried to take on the whole team. Like, you, you're not going to be able to save the catcher, but you get to the mound in time before he, before he goes, goes to town. You, no, you wouldn't. I'd be in the dugout. I've Everyone else run. is coming from the field and from the bullpen. It would be over by the time you got there. No, no, no. I'd get in shape. I'd get in better shape for this. If that was my job, yeah. assistant you know, bench coach slash enforcer, I, I, I'd work out for that. No. I, this is not a plan it's my path to the big leagues. I'm just saying, if you, if you lose me on the show, it's, that'd be the job. I mean, I will credit you in that it's, it's a better, you've got a better chance of making it to the big leagues in that capacity than you do as a pitcher. That's without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, anything else on the – I want to give the Cardinals enough love here. Um, again, I thought, I thought it was a solid draft. I think they also, in the grading here, they, they get dinged a little bit. For the trade. Let's discuss the trade a little bit for Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. Because I love the trade from the Ravens' perspective. I, you know, lauded them for it. Talked about that on yesterday's show, and we talked about the AFC North. I do that all day if I'm the Ravens. Even though, if I'm the Ravens, I also would love to have a nice speed receiver to replace Marquise Brown. I think the process is sound. What are your thoughts on this process for the Cardinals? They get one more year plus the fifth-year option for Marquise Brown in exchange for their first-round pick, pick 23 overall. Yeah, I think I think they probably overpaid a little bit, but I get the reasons why they would. You know, I think that a when you factor in they're going to be missing their own number one receiver for a while, they they need to do something, and b 
the idea that Marquise Brown is probably a better player for Arizona than he is in Baltimore's offense. Those two things together get me close enough to the value that they had to give up that I think it's it's okay. It's not a move I would have done necessarily, but I would I don't hate them for doing it. I don't think it's crazy. I wouldn't hammer the the trade the way some other people have. Some of our guys hate it. I, I didn't. We weren't watching the live show, but I heard they uh, they went off the rails talking about this. I mean, Austin hated it. Austin he, hated he tweeted it. out that it was terrible or something. I think it was just more good for the Ravens than it was bad for the Cardinals. Yeah. But I think you have to factor in the other things in order to see it from Arizona's. Which is Hopkins. Which is Hopkins, which is the idea that he is probably a better receiver in their offense than he is the one that he just left. Which is, and then the Kyler factor. Yeah, exactly. All, I mean, those are two connected, right? But if you're just looking at what Marquise Brown has been, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. But they're not, right? They're looking at what he can be within their system. And I think those are two different things. Yeah, the slot, the not the not the gimmick stuff that Rondell Moore does, but the slot receiver in the air raid is going to run a lot of vertical routes. They run for, uh, they they run slot fades, they run back shoulders off of that. And I think Marquise Brown, if they keep him in the slot like in that particular role, he'll do fine. But even if you move him around a little bit, I think there's there's value there. Like when you're putting the, when you're putting Marquise Brown, AJ Green, and DeAndre Hopkins on the field at the same time, plus say Zach Ertz or Trey McBride, that's solid. I like that. That's sure. a good group. Um, but I, I think a lot of this draft will come down to obviously Marquise Brown, but I think those those third round defensive linemen, Cameron Thomas, Myjai Sanders, it's a weakness up front for the Cardinals. You know, losing um, they've just lost too many pieces over the last couple of years, and yeah. all they have is an aging JJ Watt. They've got Marcus Golden. Got to get better up front. I think both of those guys can contribute. And people that hated this draft, one of the criticisms is. Um, you know, they didn't address defense enough. And this is a team that their biggest weaknesses are all on the defensive side of the ball, which is, I think, true. But one, they had a very real reason for surrounding Kyla Murray with offense. And two, their defense on paper stank last season, but they vastly overperformed that. So if they can manage that again, it's, it's okay. Like if, if somehow that secondary in particular that on paper is not good repeats what they did a year ago, which we were waiting for the other shoe to drop all season long, and it never did. If they're able to do that again, then it didn't matter that they don't draft a third-round cornerback or whatever. All right, Los Angeles Rams, they're up next. We just, we just punt? No, 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 no. We just punt on the Rams analysis. The they Rams do. drafted players, a lot of them, in fact. The, the grades are – their grades in the consensus uh, grading template here ranged from a to f are they the only team that had both an a and an f probably the F's other team right. well because thor gave an f to the texans who ranked eighth on the consensus the texans also had they have a's an a and a an minus f. oh no they got an a they got a real a john yeah. mccain hometown though that's a bit yeah on his way out right. and, he, and he usually trashes that's the texans. an a minus at best he's just throwing them a bone yeah. uh who but the, got an f? the rams ranked 30th in the consensus here again because i think most people are just looking at the hall and saying is this hall of players good bad or indifferent and it's very difficult for someone to look at the rams hall and be like oh look at this they got all these superstars because they didn't pick till 102 miami has an f plus and an a minus um and good mix yeah chicago has an f and an a minus so there's a few that are close those are the ones that that fascinate me like the Bengals got one of those Fs last year. Minnesota has an Jamar F. Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell. Minnesota has an F and an A minus. Well, somebody that really didn't like that trade down mm. in round one. Where are the Rams picks here? First pick was pick 104, Logan Bruss. 
out of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Jacoby Durant, another athletic corner, much like uh, Robert Rochelle, who they drafted in the middle rounds last year. Athletic corner. I honestly, by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't understand any logic that gives them an F. I really don't. Like, it's penalizing them for trading away draft picks that they turned into very good players that won them a Super Bowl. Like how? <laughs> well, even, well, well. Now you can't change your rules here, Sam. You said only on draft night, right? Matthew so, Stafford trade doesn't count, one hundred percent. But the people giving it an F presumably think it does. Otherwise, you're lit. Like how? Because otherwise, how could you possibly give it an F if you're not counting the picks that they traded away? There's literally no logic in the world that gives it an F. Yeah. Well, what would you do differently? Exactly. So the people that give it an F have to be factoring that in, right? Well, they don't have any draft picks. It's like, yeah, but. The reason they don't have any draft picks is because they just traded them for a guy who won them a Super Bowl. So you can't give them an F for that because it worked. Rams draft. Like, that's ridiculous. A plus. So if you're factoring in that they traded away their draft picks, it, if anything, enhances their grade. And if you're not factoring it in, then I don't understand what you're doing at all because they drafted some good players. If you look... So, I think you're putting too much thought into the lack of thought that people are putting into these draft grades. If you look at the grade that PFF's draft tracker gave them, which by and large is a reflection of sort of the value relative to the PFF big board, which is tied pretty closely to the value on the consensus board, the first pick is a good grade. Then we have a below average one, another good, another good, a very good below average, uh, and then a below average and a good. So at the minute, like that's skewing positive, slightly above average overall. We gave him a C plus. Right, bingo. Exactly where it should be. Right. I I don't get how you give that an F. I really don't. Maybe you hated the players. Maybe you hate Quentin Lake in the sixth round, who's actually a pretty productive uh, safety out of UCLA. I like that pick. Draft board didn't like it. I liked it. Darian Kendrick comes in. They also they drafted. We've talked a lot about what is the Rams' strategy. Let's do what the Rams do. The people say, mm-hmm. what is it that the Rams do? You have astutely made the point. Look, they're going to draft eight times. They're going to draft nine times year over year. Yeah, it's going to happen. Picks 100 through 257. Sure. Yep. But they're going to pick a lot. And what have they done historically? Because they, this kind of is in line with it. They have picked either positions where they absolutely need somebody to compete to play, um, like corner over the last couple of years. They've developed some offensive linemen in this range who have become starters and they've picked, I'd say, some lower-value positions, too. They grab some linebackers. They grab some safeties. But I think they're grabbing – a lot of times they're p- grabbing lower-value positions where they can find a starter. Call it guard, safety, linebacker, whatever it is. Running back. And they did a lot of that today. Like, Logan Bross is probably going to come in as a tackle conversion and compete for a starting guard spot. To Kobe Durant, he's probably – they traded for Troy Hill, too, by the way, with yeah, one of their so they, fifth Yeah, so they picked eight times and flipped a fifth-rounder for Troy Hill, who they know – is a decent quality defensive back within the system that can play both inside and outside for them. Like, that. I mean, it doesn't get better than that in terms of maintaining volume to get players that will contribute. Yeah, you get a, a Russ Yeast, uh, who's a predictive, um, productive safety at 253 in the seventh round. They've had success with um, Jordan Fuller starting as a sixth-round safety. You know? It doesn't mean that they will again. Sure. But to make this work... I think you have to be kind of pointed in those those late round, mid and late round decisions. Who are you bringing in? Are they going to be contributors? Um, and it does put pressure on your 
on your scouting staff, right, to hit on some of these players. And for the Rams to really call this a success, they got to hit on a couple of these players, right? A couple of these guys have to come in, right, which is compete, true event, for anybody, and probably start in years two or three. But but it's harder to to get guys to hit yes. with picks one hundred through two sixty than it is the first one hundred. We know that. But the Rams already won. It's an A plus draft. They already won a Super Bowl. Can't say anything else. They already won. It's also next year's draft. A plus. They already won a Super Bowl. With last next year's first rounder. True. It's a it's a good collect or a good. Uh, diversification of what they've targeted right they've gotten productive players from this group of eight draft picks they've gotten athletic players in this group of draft picks and they've gotten some that are a little bit of a combination of both so i think this was a reasonably solid draft again i i didn't love it quite as much as a couple of the other teams that didn't have picks for a while in the draft i don't know that they did as good a job um hitting a guy that you think will definitely make an immediate reasonable impact with their first pick or two on the other hand they were picking lower you know 104 versus went 49ers picking 61 i think yep low down the second um i mean that's a big difference right so i just think this was a a reasonably solid draft and one that fits perfectly within the history of this ram strategy which is different to the headline you know buzzword that everybody uses buzz phrase steal some backups steal some potential starters darian kendrick uh interesting career played at clemson moved to georgia um never really developed i think he showed some promise early in his career never really developed into that high-end player i know renner didn't love him i know the data thought he was okay um but you know he's a little different player than say again uh to kobe durant who's you know runs 438 uh 438 40 and more of that athletic projection but you're right they had a mix of types of players that they added i thought it was it was fine montana state had multiple players drafted this year and texas had none yeah you don't see that every year texas is struggling Mm. the last couple years it is it is a multi-coach problem yeah i mean from mac brown to um tom herman now you've got what's his face there I mean, it's one thing to be, like, not competing What's for a national title. It's another to have zero players drafted. They haven't had an offensive alignment drafted, I believe, since the Vince Young draft, 2005. Wow. This like, is the second time, I think. Like, Chattanooga's now had one. Yeah. got zero. This is the second time, I think, since 2014 that they haven't had a single player drafted. That's bad. It's really tough to do when you've got the pick. Yeah, when you're Texas. Of the I best mean, players. That should be very hard. Yeah. And yet here they are. Poor Texas. Maybe they need to copy what Montana State is doing. Texas catching strays, man. Mm. Catching strays here on the Rams analysis. Anything else on the Rams? No. I mean, I don't think you can say too much about it. They didn't have the first or the second round. We know where they went. But I think they did a solid job of backfilling with those eight picks. To review, the first rounder went to Stafford. The second and third rounder went to Vaughn Miller. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had they not won, you'd say, man, they they really made a 10 regular season game investment in Von Miller, and they didn't get to pick in rounds two or three. Um, the reality is, I mean, it does hurt the roster going forward. Like, I'm, I'm lauding the Rams and saying, look, the, they, they, they won a Super Bowl out of it. Obviously, if they had had a pick in round two or round three, this draft class, they have well, they got a third. better they for had, the team. They had a, they had a compensatory yeah. three, but they traded their actual three. Right. Um, but they had two comp picks, round three, round four, part of the strategy as well. I mean, it, that's the other thing with the Rams, too. Like, they let – how about this – piece of business they let troy troy hill walk that was part of the whole compensatory formula and then they flipped a five back for him again that's pretty good business and look i would take my fives and trade them for 
established players all day, assuming you've got the cap space, which is reason to yeah to not put the push the cap all the way to the limit, so it's, you have that flexibility. It's always been a much more complicated balancing act than people have given it credit for. Yeah, so it's another draft where I think I, I can't wait to, to watch some of these guys develop. Right, last year, an Ernest Jones develops as a third rounder that contributes on the Super Bowl team. We'll see who they pull out of this one, but nobody, I, I don't know who it's going to be because all of them are in the hundreds and two hundreds on our draft board. There's nobody that stands out as a steal. There's nothing egregious there, but it's you know it's the Rams mm-hmm. in their unique style. So F it is. So some people gave it an F. We have a completely new sponsor here. It's Sunday. This is not the other sponsor that talks about lawns. This is Sunday. Does your lawn have weeds, bare patches, or pet spots? I could see the confusion. <laughs> actually sunday can help you solve all these problems and more the easy way they've got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control and it's all delivered right to your door i think the convenience factor here sam is what really sets sunday apart they can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn you can feel good with kids or pets being around just attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes. Now, that sounds like something Steve can do because Steve's not the most handy guy in the world. Mm. So if you tell me about lawn care and it's literally just uh, hook it up to your hose, takes less than 15 minutes, like, I can do that. Sounds simple enough. So Sunday's offering our listeners 20% off. You get full-season plants that start at just $129. You get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash NFL pod. It's 20% off. Your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash NFL pod. And the other cool part here, too, is like you put in your address and they know where your yeah, uh, where your house is and how much you need and, and, and all that good stuff. It is really customized and uh, they do a really nice job. I, I can't wait until my lawn is fixed because it's, it's kind of trash right now. Yeah, they give you, you know, a little satellite picture of your house with a, an estimate of the square footage that your lawn is which is handy because i would have no earthly idea of guessing that just from looking at it yeah wouldn't have a chance so get sunday.com slash nfl pod all right who's next on our seattle seahawks next is that what i said 49ers 49ers, wrong list sa for san Mm -hmm. san francisco 49ers are up next where's the consensus have them where's my tweet the niners are somewhat low because they didn't have a first rounder and that's how it goes number 28 on the consensus, a solid B from the PFF staff. Do they have any Fs? There's a D plus in there. D plus. John McClain. Man. There's his second worst grade. They got a D plus just above the Dolphins F plus. <laughs> I need to hear John's explanation for the F plus. They got a D from Thor. Oh, Vitamon. But that's like middle of the pack. He's not busy anymore. He's retired. Yeah. Oh, John's the best. Can't believe he gave the Texans a good grade on his way out. He just usually trashes the Texans. Must be a big Stingley fan, McClain. All right, 49ers draft. I know you like their first pick, Drake Jackson. What would you think overall as far as the 49ers? Yeah, I like that first pick a lot. I like um, Danny Gray a lot as a receiver in where they get him the third. Um, I thought this was a pretty good draft as well. Do you ever look at Danny Gray and it's like, I know you liked him as a prospect, but, man, he's got some explosiveness, 4-3-3 speed. Don't you just feel better when he's going to Kyle Shanahan? And, uh, sure, I mean, an I, that, like that's this? any receiver. I mean, I was, you know, Bobby Slowick working for the 49ers. What is he now? Their pass game coordinator? PGC, I believe, yeah. PGC. Yeah. Um, ben Stockwell was telling him that I, I, wa- I wanted them to draft Calvin Austin. Would love to see Calvin Austin in that offense. Bobby, it appears, knows that I have that type of receiver because he was like, yeah, that's the most Sam pick of, of all time. <laughs> of course he uh, – Short, fast guy. Short, right, short, fast receiver. Of course he wants us to draft him. But, you know, Danny Gray will work. 
I'm, I'm fine with that. I think that's a good move as well. The, I, the real question mark with this draft is, you know, why are they drafting a running back with one of their top picks when that offense of all offenses proves you don't need to do that year on year on year? They prove that. Yeah, Tyrion Davis Price. I don't understand that pick. Um, Seth, Seth's like a big LSU fan. Seth didn't have any idea what they were doing with that pick. Yeah, I'll just say again. I I mentioned it on the show there as well. I've heard some rumblings from similar schemes that he was a guy that they liked, right, from another team in a similar scheme. So it might be just one of those wide zone. Shanahan so, tree type of picks where they just they really liked Davis Price even though he's 172 on our draft board number 16 running back they get him 93 overall one year after drafting Trey Sermon yeah in the third round and then getting Elijah Mitchell in the fifth round I believe right literally who became their top running back last yeah. year and this is not the first time that's happened like literally every single time they've made a, a significant investment in a running back either in the draft or free agency it's been somebody else that's had the production right through injuries i think why not just the 49ers but these 49ers the shanahan tree offenses i think why they keep going back to the well with running back higher than you think they should is because they want that production they want the low round guy that comes out of nowhere and has great production for them in the system because the system creates that but they want it in the prototypical body, which they assume will be more durable and they will last longer. You know what I mean? They want to stumble into, like, a, guy, a perfect fit within that. Like, because remember, Denver for years, under Mike Shanahan, OG Shanahan, Denver were busy with this, like, cavalcade of nobody running backs that were all putting up 1,000 yards. Mike Anderson, and it wasn't he at Army or something? Like Academy or something crazy, Mike Anderson. It wasn't Army. Orlandis Gary. Like they had this run of guys that nobody was interested in. They were able to turn a thousand yard rushers into all of them because they had that wide zone system. They still went after Clinton Portis. You know what I mean? They weren't happy with this idea of, well, we just take nobody's cycle through them. They're always looking for the guy. What if, if the scheme can create this? What if we then find a great running back and plug him into the scheme? Make it that much better. It becomes Superman. You know what I mean? So I think all, and they're not the only team to do this. The Jets went aggressively after a Brees Hall. The Rams keep drafting running backs. Like everybody is doing this. It, it's not that they're all morons, right? So we should probably at least take a beat and question why are they doing the thing that looks dumb from the two, outset? Two things I'm thinking. What if they're just not as confident, not confident in their own scheme, but not as self-aware that maybe they're the drivers? Are they are they aware no, enough that I they're th- the drivers to this? Or how could you not be like that? The Mike Shanahan thing became like everybody knew that. Here's what I wonder. Um, I'm going to make a. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. Another baseball analogy. There was a, I was talking to my pitching coach one time. Okay. And like when you're pitching, sometimes it's like you don't want to throw the pitch that the hitter's expecting. Uh-huh. And he made my pitching coach pitched in the big leagues for ten years. Made the point sometimes you give them what they're looking for. Sometimes like they know the curveball's coming, they know the slider's coming, but you give it to them because what they do is they recognize it, and they're like, "Oh, I knew it was coming. I knew it." But if you put it in the right spot, if you throw it low, they'll still swing and miss. So just because they know it's coming, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I wonder if the Shanahan system, when they see the running back. They're like, that reminds me of Terrell Davis, or that reminds me of the guy that was great. And they recognize it, and they see it, and they're like, when I see it, i got to do something about it. i got to do something. So even though it's 
at the wrong range, even though it's a low pitch and it's going to curve and I'm going to swing and miss. When I see it, I know it and I recognize it and I need that. I need that in my system. I need my one cut guy when I see it. That's my best metaphor in a long time. Give me a this chalk up a meta- metaphor for me. I'm back to zero. I was going to say, are you, are you in positive figures yet? Or are you, that was that, good, right? That's just getting you to zero. Um, they're sitting there in the third round. They're like, Davis Price, he has exactly what we need for the scheme. I recognize it. I see it. Forget the fact that I could turn a guy in the sixth round into the, the same productive guy. But when I see what, I, what I'm looking for, I'm going to pounce. Yeah, I, 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 don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a different skill set that they're looking for. Like, I don't think the problem is that, hey, these other guys have been able to be productive. But what we're really looking for is that prototypical one-cut outside zone runner. I think they're able to find those. What they're looking for is the guy that has that with just a better physical profile and a better, a better body for it, right? Like the, the thing that separated a Clinton Portis from the other guys that they were able to plug in there was Clinton Portis was like a 220-pound fast-as-hell running back. So that, the Clinton Portis was like an Adrian Peterson physically relative to the other dudes that they've been plugging in there and getting 1,000 yards. And all of a sudden, Clinton Portis does – have like a record-setting start to his career to the point where they're able to trade him for Champ Bailey, right? Now, obviously, that's probably that's, not that That's go- straight business overall, <laughs> trading him for Champ Bailey. That's probably not the long-term goal here, but I do think that, you know, if you listen to a lot of people out there, the general reaction right now is that every time Kyle Shanahan or the Jets or the Rams, like they make one of these picks and they go after a running back several rounds higher than people thought they should – it's like, oh, well, they're just crazy. Why, what happens? Every now and again, they get to a draft, and then they just spaz them, and they make a crazy running back decision. I mean, they might be picking bad players. The 49ers' track record hasn't been great when they keep doing this. But I think we should at least explore the logic of what they're trying to achieve. Because it, it clearly isn't that they're just morons, because they're not, right? So that, what are they trying to get out of these picks? And I think that's what it is. They're trying to get like a, a superior physical specimen to the dude that's already productive. I, I think that combined with my long analogy of they, they've rec- they recognize the skill set that they covet. And when they do, they draft it. Um, even though I think Trey Sermon on the surface probably looks a little different than their traditional running backs. I get what you're saying. This was J.K. Dobbins to the Ravens a couple years ago, right? The Ravens may be the smartest organization right. from a process standpoint. Drafted date in a year removed from taking Gus Edwards, two years removed, as an undrafted free agent, turned him into a five yards per carry guy. The Ravens went and drafted J.K. Dobbins, I think with the hopes that he could be a six yards per carry guy because he's better in the open field, because he's more explosive into the open field they were going to get him. That part I can kind of buy in, which, I, which, which is why I don't completely hate the, the Brees Hall thing. I think if you're going to take these swings, make it a Raheem Mostert 4-3 guy. Make it a Brees Hall 4-3-8 guy that... If we're going to block it up well and we're going to use misdirection to get this guy into the open space, we have a home run hitter. And, um, again, I don't know if Davis Price is that guy, but I'm just saying theoretically that's where I would go if I'm the Shanahan system. But But they draft at least a running back every single year. That, I think, is the one quibble with this draft. But I think Drake Jackson as our first pick is a phenomenal selection. He could replace D. Ford pretty quickly. He's got the best dip and bend and pure edge um, rush move of any of the guys in this draft class. That's a great pick. Danny Gray, we, we mentioned before, I really like. Um, and then, you know, the low rounds, they've got a couple of interesting players as well. A lot of very goods relative to the PFF uh, draft board relative to where they were taken. 
Kalia Davis, and then Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Kalia Davis in the sixth round. Uh, big model guy. Big model guy. Production liked him. UCF defensive, uh, interior defensive lineman. He would be, he'd be one of the guys that uh, I'd say, hey, day three, this guy's available still. So day three like of models Davis. identifying this guy. Yes. Model identified sleeper. They've also added a ton of corners. You, you mentioned uh, our friend Jason Verrett is back. They're taking a yeah. shot on the injured Jason Verrett. Ambry Thomas is there, both in backup roles for Emmanuel Mosley and Jarvarius Ward. They have a plethora of corners. Uh, added Samuel Womack to the mix from Toledo. So they're at least they're attacking this position with volume, I think, more than they have in recent years because it's been a, a question mark for the Niners. But team-building effort, I think, overall is fine. I wonder if uh, Spencer Burford, the fourth-round pick out of UTSA, does he compete for that guard spot? That's the that's the other one, too. Like, uh, left guard, big question mark who the starter is going to be there. Are they going with last year's Aaron Banks, second-round pick? Is he going to be the guy that takes over? We'll see. But I, I thought they'd attack guard a little bit earlier. I wonder if Burford is that guy at 6'4", 304, their conversion player. But Danny Gray, man, speed. Speed to this offense. And uh, a little bit of Debo insurance, at least at the wide receiver position. Yeah, and of course they kept Debo, which wasn't a guarantee they did. going into the draft. There was rumors that they were on the phone at 10 with the Jets. Yeah, the Jets made an offer. Somebody else made an offer. I forget who. Uh, the 49ers claimed none of them came close to I, what they were looking for. Who do you think the Giants would have looked at there? Garrett Wilson? Alave? One of those top receivers, I think, to, re- to, to replace Debo. Mm-hmm. Would you prefer Garrett Wilson? Or Debo Samuel, right now, if you're the Niners. Oh, right now, Debo. But again, it's always the contract. Debo right? plus the contract, not just yeah. the player. Right, like I mean, that's, the whole situation. But that's the problem. Like I think they, the way this might end up going, if they're as far apart as they seem to be, is see. I wonder if we're reaching the stage where there's a a middle ground of actually the best thing you can do as a team is to play him out for the for the entirety of the time you can control him in terms of all of his contract franchise tag fifth year option whatever you have available to you or do you tag and trade at one point or no no just play out play out the entirety of the time you can control this guy and then you let him walk and you pick the compensatory pickup the the years you got of his value is probably the best thing you can get out of him if you're never going to get that monster contract done um versus trading him where you get rid of the contract issue but you no longer have the player uh or giving him the monster contract, which you know, only a couple of players are going to be worth. So I wonder if the 49ers' best option at this point is to just play out Debo as long as they can control him and then say bye-bye and thank you. I was going to add something to that, and I can't remember what it was. Okay. But they, they still have Debo Samuel. They do. I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh-huh. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's not what I was thinking. Oh, 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 this is what I was going to say. A.J. Brown signing for $25 million per year. Yeah. Good, bad, and different for the 49ers and for Debo. I mean, it sets, I think, a fair market for that, right? We've said, you and I have said, if, if you got to pay Debo 20, 21, like in that range, it's it's easier. If he wants 30, like if he wants Devontae or Tyreek Hill money, it's yeah. crazy. But even like if AJ, I thought AJ Brown might try to get to 30. He's good. He's at 25. So split the difference there from what we had said. That's a little bit easier to handle with Debo Samuel, I think. 25, even if I'd yeah. rather not go that high. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, so $30 million a year. Tyreek's on $30 million a year. Devontae Adams is at like 28, right? DeAndre Hopkins, 27 and a bit. A.J. Brown now comes in at 25 average per year. Uh, 
25, I think, is a reasonable benchmark for where both, for where certainly Debo should be aiming. And it's probably a fair, the 49ers are probably going to have to expect to go to 25 if they want to keep Debo around. I think that is a reasonable new benchmark to set from A.J. Brown. Um, now, if if Debo wants 30 and above, I think the 49ers should let him walk or should do what I just suggested, play out the amount of time you can control him and then let him walk. Um, if if he doesn't, then they can get a deal done. Was the Davis Price, the running back pick, round three, Debo says he doesn't want to play wide back anymore. Uh-huh. He doesn't want to do it. They bring in a 219-pounder, maybe be a little bit more downhill, maybe take the Debo cam- carries. You think it's a... Uh, you think it's just a Debo Samuel carry replacement guy? Potentially. Think, Not that they didn't have guys to do that, but... I mean, I think if it is, it's a mistake. Like, It's an olive branch to Debo Samuel. Look, we're not going to put you in the backfield anymore. I, I, wouldn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't really care. <laughs> I'm, you might not want to play there, but we, we, you're really good there. So We're we looking actually... for answers. We're looking for answers. Why are the Shanahans? Why is, why is Kyle? Why are the Niners? Why are John Lynch dra- drafting running backs? Yeah, but it's not just them, right? It's all of these these Shanahan trees are all doing the same thing. I learned from watching you, Dad. Mike, he did, he generally didn't take them pretty high, except Portis. Oh, he under, he realized he's like I, I mean, made Terrell Davis a Hall of Famer. Say Terrell Davis is sixth rounder. I made a Landis Gary. I made Mike Anderson. Mike realized. Anyway, Niners ranked low. Didn't have a first round pick. Drafted a running back high. It was all right. Solid all around. Think some of those late rounders can contribute. Repeat, rinse, whatever. Seattle Seahawks are up. Yeah, I was wondering. So Mike Mike Anderson played at Utah in college. Utah, and then I was like, why the hell did I think he was in the army? Uh, it's because he was in the Marines. He was a Marine. That was Mike yeah. Anderson, the Marine. That's what it was. Yeah. Right. I got it. Seattle Seahawks are up. Where did the people? I know we just didn't invent like a service history for the man. That would have been strange. No, I knew he didn't go to army, but yeah, I was trying to connect those those dots as well. Seahawks finished ninth. In the composite, A minus, uh, A from, no, I can't even read. A minus from PFF, that's correct. Uh, they ranged from A minus, did they have an F too? No, that was the, <laughs> that was the I need a ruler. It is, that's the. They had a D from Evan Silva. That is the tricky part about this whole 29 uh, yeah. grade composite here, is it does make it pretty difficult to track the straight lines. Too many people. There's too many people here. Pete Prisco's on there. Like, Pete was a decent grader. Pete's in the middle of the pack, though, so I haven't noticed his a lot. Who did he hate? <laughs> Pete hated the Bears. Give the Bears a D. I didn't like the Bears either. Look at you. What Pete give the Jaguars? Me and Pete. Jaguars homer. Anyway, who are we talking about? Seattle. Seattle Seahawks. They got a lot of A's for their draft. They did. Uh, people didn't hate their running back pick, I guess, all that much, as much as we did. Charles Cross at nine. Uh, the top tackle in the PFF draft board goes there. Boye Mafe goes at 40 in the second round, the edge defender out of Minnesota. And then at 41, the second running back off the board, right, was Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Goes at 41, was 55 on the PFF draft board. I think the potentially great part of the Seattle draft here, Abraham Lucas in yeah. the third round at 72, they needed two tackles. Lucas has a chance to step in at right tackle to go with Cross at left tackle. May have immediate upgrades. A couple air raid tackles coming out there, too. So I think they'll be a little bit better in pass protection than the run game right away, but they might have two starting tackles. Nice explosive edge in Boye Mafe. The running back pick, though, 
as far as all running back picks, they're questionable, but even more so with Seattle and what they already have on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, it's like the most Seattle pick ever, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Just random running back thrown in there in the second round. The very most Seattle pick is Tariq Woolen in round five. Um, but I thought that – I really thought – credit the NFL. Really thought the NFL might take Woolen in the second round. I thought he might – because he's, he's from UTSA. You really couldn't watch his tape, though. I mean, I understand why you thought that, but, like, if – you know, when you watch I've him play – I've seen worse players go in the second round. <sighs> but I've never – this is fascinating, by the way. The last two years – Quick tangent before we get into the Seahawks. Are we going to start seeing record-breaking workouts every single year? Last year, there was no combine. There was just pro days. You had guys like Odafe Owe with Penn State. You had Micah Parsons. Like We have rarely seen workouts as great as Owe's at uh, edge, Micah Parsons at linebacker, right? Everybody's running fast. This year, you have Trayvon Walker, maybe with the best edge all-around workout we've ever seen. Tariq Woolen, other than the three-cone, the most absurd size-speed combination I think we've ever seen at corner. 6'4", running a 4-2-6-40. I just wonder if this is a workout thing. Just better athletes the same way, same way in, in other sports the athletes are getting better. I won't name the sports, but other, other sports guys might be throwing balls harder or whatever it might be, faster than ever. Tariq Woolen had one of the most absurd cornerback workouts of all time at 6'4" running a 4-2-6. That's insane. But he had a 65 coverage grade last year. He's a converted wide receiver. But he went in the fifth round, 153 overall. Great place to take that type of projection in Tariq Woolen. I just thought that the NFL might get blinded by the workout, take him in the second round. Yeah. I mean, I the tape, I think, was bad enough that I was reasonably confident he wasn't going to get drafted that high. Now, fifth round still feels like I'm surprised he lasted as long as the fifth round. I think that's where he should have lasted, but I'm surprised somebody didn't jump on the physical tools higher than that. Um, but yeah, like as you said, a six foot four, two hundred plus pound guy that can run a four two, that's you, you take that in the fifth round, even if he can't play with ridiculous arm length too. Like all, oh, everything, course. everything was insane. Yeah, so about what? grab a guy like that in the fifth and just see what you can make out of him, Absolutely. even if it's not a corner, whatever. Like let's figure that out. That's too valuable a skill set to just let drop entirely um so sure what the hell uh charles cross at number nine the third of the tackles that was taken a guy that was the first of the tackles on some boards including pffs um that's got to be a good pick the only interesting part is it means they were the first team we're not the first team i guess carolina they were the next team up that didn't take the quarterback in the top 10 when they could have the quarter remember drew lock is their starter right now yep drew lock and then geno smith effectively they don't have a quarterback they didn't take one in the top 10. They took Charles Cross, and when you see what happened with the rest of the quarterback class, that at least appears to be a smart decision. Then you get to the second round. Boye Mafe, one of those uh, impressive edge rushers at the top of the second round. I think that's a good pick as well. Right after Kenneth Walker. Uh, I mean, Kenneth Walker's a good running back, but you have two good running backs already, one of whom you just re-signed after a, a former first-round pick that you just re-signed after tearing it up the last, like, six games of the season. So one of those moves is a mistake. You know what I mean? Either the Kenneth Walker move is a mistake or re-signing Rashad Penny to any kind of contract was a mistake. It was just for a year, and the the chat's claiming that maybe Chris Carson's not going to be playing football going forward based off whatever, injuries and everything that he's dealt with. Rashad Penny's only a one-year deal. He's been banged up. Fine. I mean, even if Kenneth Walker becomes your starting running back, as my, my bigger issue is 
the spot this guy's being taken, right? I can actually, I'm somewhat justifying the Jets move because you're looking at how they maneuvered their roster over the last couple of years, in part thanks to the Seattle Seahawks. They've added all these pieces, right, to where the Jets don't have any egregious holes yeah. on the roster. Seattle still, you know, maybe they, fig- maybe they fixed their offensive line, but I think they, they could have used another edge to go with Boye Mafe. They need more pass rushers. Their linebackers are young and experienced as far as, you know, but they're, they're banking on the, the youth there. They just have other holes on the roster, including quarterback, including you probably want to upgrade from Drew Locke. So that would be my... Kenneth Walker's a good player, man. He's a good player. He's patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised at how fast he ran, but you could, see, you know, you could see him break away at times at Michigan State. I like, I, thought, I like what Renner said when Michigan State made their incredible comeback against Michigan. Like Kenneth Walker taking over the game. Like there's a lot to like about Kenneth Walker as a player. I just don't want to take running backs oh, unless they're the cherry on top. And we're just not, we're just not at that point in the Sunday here for the Seahawks. <laughs> not at that point in the Sunday. I yeah. I really like the uh, the draft overall. Even down, like Bo Melton in the seventh round, I think is one of the best values yep. in the entire draft. In fact, I just wrote him up as the best pick of the seventh round in an article. We just we talked about Tariq Woolen, how that's great gambling at that point in the draft. Abraham Lucas could be a starter in round three. Um, Kobe Bryant, I think, is an interesting corner in the fourth round. Nice difference between Bryant and Woolen. Like Bryant's got some. Pretty yeah. good production numbers coming out of Cincinnati. Not as good of an athlete, but I and, like that diversification. And we like Kenneth Walker, even if it feels like at that point in the draft they had bigger problems to address than, than Kenneth Walker running back. The only caveat to this draft, and it was the one I was using with Carolina in terms of mock draft before the draft, if you're not going to take a quarterback at six, I need to know what your quarterback plan is, right? Because you, you have Sam Darnold right now. That's not a starter. That just isn't in today's NFL. Carolina ends up trading back into third, grabs um, Matt Corral. So whatever you think about that, that's their answer, right? They've at least got a direct competition now between Matt Corral and Sam Darnold, and they will be obviously praying desperately that Matt Corral can win that and can show something better than Darnold has. Seattle didn't do anything. They didn't take a quarterback at all. Um, So you still have Drew Locke and Geno Smith as your starters on a roster that isn't great. And, okay, you made some moves to make that roster better. You got maybe one, maybe two tackles. You got an edge rusher. You got a running back. Um, but you still have Drew Locke as your starter. Like, Drew Locke had a bet. Drew Locke, last year's Denver team was an Aaron Rodgers away from a Super Bowl was the narrative, right? So they had one of the best rosters in the NFL, and Drew Locke looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Seattle's roster is a lot worse than Denver's, and Drew Locke is still Drew Locke. So... What's your what's your quarterback answer? Is it Baker Mayfield? I mean, potentially. It, it probably do they still be. have something in the works for Jimmy Garoppolo? Allegedly, I think I'm. I, I just think I think Seattle does have a lot of holes on the roster. My point on the Jets is they they not that the Jets maybe have a better roster, but they it looks like a better roster outside of quarterback. And if they don't have a hole, they at least have a young player that's expected to fill that in. In New York. Seattle last year drafted three times, right? And you got Trey Brown, you got Stone Forsyth, and you got Dwayne Eskridge. Trey Brown had the, you know, could, contributed the most. So you're one year removed from only drafting three players. This year, they drafted a lot more, and it looks like they've added to the roster, and you have to balance that out 
with another high volume year. And that's why I just think it's so difficult to just add running backs when your roster has a lot of holes, top to bottom. And even at receiver, where I love DK, obviously love DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, DK's got to get paid soon. Are you going to pay him? Are you going to let him walk? You just need more depth. You need someone else to compete with Dwayne Eskridge for wide receiver three. Maybe Bull Melton is that guy. Um, so I do like a lot of the picks that Seattle brought or, or got later, but a running back that high, just really difficult for the Seahawks given where this roster is right now. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, overall, it's a good draft. It was a good draft. It was a good draft overall. Um, and it was needed, like, you know, because because of the holes that we're talking about, because they only drafted three times last year. One more thing, though. Even if you like Charles Cross mm-hmm. and Abraham Lucas, and we said, hey, that's, that's great. They're going to – they're your starters at tackle. What are we getting excited about as Seahawks fans, right? If you're a Seahawks fan, is it a lateral move at tackle? Like, are they actually – Dwayne Brown moves on, coming off his worst season, but is Charles Cross going to be better than Dwayne Brown next year? Is – Abraham Lucas is going to be better than Brandon Shell next year. Probably not. It's actually going to be a step back, most likely, from those guys. Doesn't mean they're not the better long-term play. But in the short term, I think we have to accept the Seahawks team is getting worse before it's getting better. Yeah, but those are, I mean, those are just moves you have to make. Like they- You have to make them all, but I'm saying the, things are going to look worse this year, I think, for the Seahawks well, than yeah. they did last things year are going to look worse when they weren't that good. Things are going to look worse because you don't have Russell Wilson at quarterback. And even like Russell Wilson wasn't good enough to drag this roster to even if, respectability if you, if you last year. If you plopped Russ, Russ on this roster right now, as bad as they were last year, this is still the worst roster that they've had. Probably, but in like the Russell Wilson era. The defining the defining point about the Seahawks right now is that they have no quarterback, and they had to make the rest of the roster better because the thing had be had fallen to rack and ruin. Dwayne Brown was the best player in that offensive line. Was a major step back for him last year at what age thirty six thirty. Heading going to be 37 this season. So you probably can't expect him to be as good as he was again. So you got to start, you got to find his replacement. And okay, that guy's probably not going to be as good as Dwayne Brown in year one because that's the standard offensive line development curve, but that's the move you need to make. Um, and know, that's this fine. Is why, I, I get it. And that's also why smart teams do things like that a year before they need to, right? So that the guy is ready to step in and be Dwayne Brown right when you need him to be. But Seattle didn't. They've had a sequence of not great drafts, and that's why the roster is in good shape. Isn't in good shape. This does have a chance to be their best draft in a while. So I do like it overall. But, um, yeah, still some questions, I think. I, I, do you think they believe in Drew Locke? I, or just didn't believe in the other quarterback? I really hope not. I mean, look, they've been talking him up to an unreasonable degree since they got him. Like, talking about how they loved him at draft time, you know, blah, blah, blah. Look. There's, there's something to be said for new environments, change of scenery, all that kind of jazz. On the other hand, you simply haven't seen almost anything from Drew Locke since he's played in the NFL to suggest that he can be a viable starter going forward. The, the great big-time throw rate from year two um, did disappear last year. Like, okay, minimum playing time but he didn't have a ton of big time throws last season the turnover worthy play rate has remained high throughout his entire career i mean we like what are we expecting to see that's different i'm more intrigued by mitch trubisky data points than drew lock data points that's all i know yeah i just 
I, there's no reason to be excited about Drew Locke. There really isn't. His, his play has been remarkably consistent in the NFL, as, um, even if the statistics haven't been. As Baker apologists, or at least ones that recognize he's had two good NFL seasons out of four, yeah. and that there's still hope for the future, what are your thoughts if Baker Mayfield was plopped into this Seattle Seahawks roster? I mean, first and foremost, Baker Mayfield would be a huge upgrade over Drew Locke. Agreed. Secondly, Baker's worst season has been better than Drew Locke's best season. Yes. Secondly, Baker Mayfield would be a pretty big downgrade from Russell Wilson. Also true. And as we just said, the roster is probably worse than it was a year ago, even though they just had a good draft because they're all going to be rookies. So they're battling. Yeah. So Baker Mayfield on the Seattle team gives them their best chance to win. Their chance still isn't great. Um, I'd be intrigued by that to see if uh, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, if they could, if, can they extract the best? Out of Baker Mayfield. Seattle I mean, is, just give it a shot for a year. If not, you're, you're back in the QB market. Seattle, to me, is genuinely the one team that should be willing to trade something for Baker Mayfield. Because, so look, Baker Mayfield goes from an $18 million problem that teams don't want to take on, right, to if he's cut, it's a very, very cheap deal that most of the league should be interested in bringing in at the very minimum as a backup. So it's honestly not that much different than bringing in Jameis Winston. Right? Yeah, but my point being, Seattle goes from a marketplace of one to a marketplace of who the hell knows how many, but like 12 teams if he gets cut. If they want to ensure they get Baker Mayfield, it might cost them $18 million to do that. And they might be the one team that it's actually worth it. Now, the complicating factor there is you might say, well, maybe Baker's only interested in starting gigs. So even if he's cut, He's only interested in a couple of teams. Maybe Seattle thinks that's, that's true, and that's why they're not willing to trade for him. Because if they're like, if we just stay patient, they're going to have to cut him because that dude will be toxic as hell in that environment because they just like pulled the rug out from under him in Cleveland. Yeah, They're going to cut him. And if they cut him, he's only going to want to come here or maybe Carolina if he thinks he can compete for that job. That's about it, right? Nobody else is going to give him a, a shot to start. So we can just like we can still we can still pick them up for hardly anything. Should the Seahawks at least have been one of the teams that took a shot on one of those QBs? You got nothing to lose on Desmond Ritter, yeah. Malik Willis, and all that stuff. Look, when we you're were talking about them, are they going to take him at nine? Are they going to take him at forty, forty-one? They didn't even take one shot on the quarterbacks, even if you don't like them. Take a shot. Because also one of them could come in and be better than Drew Locke immediately. I mean, we look. We said we love the Abraham Lucas pick. On the other hand, that's. You could have had the second quarterback off the board at that point. Like that, Desmond Ritter went two picks after that. Malik Willis. Ritter, Malik Willis. Right. Malik Willis hadn't gone yet. Yeah. People, we, people were saying Seattle could take Malik Willis at nine. Obviously, every, I don't know why I keep bringing this up. Everything people said about the quarterbacks pre-draft, apparently it was unmitigated yeah. horse shit. It's one of those, like, the consensus board I'll still kind of buy into. I think yeah. all of our pre-draft quarterback takes and where they might go, I think, are all invalid now. But the point being, you could have taken the second available quarterback which on a lot of people's boards could have been the first quarterback you know like if you didn't have Pickett ranked number one you could have had the number one quarterback available on your board and you could have got him in the third round yep so to me I think they should have rolled the rolled the dice on a quarterback at that point in the draft yeah I think that's my only issue with this the opportunity cost drafting a running back drafting not drafting a quarterback I think that's what May have been left on the table. Overall, I like the haul, though, for the Seahawks. I think it's important yeah. for the franchise, and I think they moved in the right direction. The consensus also agrees. Number nine draft.
for them. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go on the Atlanta Falcons. They're number seven as far as the draft goes. PFF giving them an A, but number seven in the consensus. I thought the Falcons did a nice job. They just picked, I don't know, they picked good players at the spots they were given. <laughs> they drafted How's good that? players. They, they drafted the, good players when they, they should the have t-shirt. drafted them. How's that? Drafted um, players. I think this was one of the best drafts of anybody. Even um, with your number four wide receiver being their first pick. Yeah, because I, so, yes, because I don't think there's necessarily a wrong order for that first group of wide receivers. It's more the type of receivers they are. Like, you know, Arizona traded for a wide receiver that's five foot nine, 180 pounds, right? Atlanta is, is going after receivers that are six foot five, six foot four, big bodied, contested catch guys. These are completely different players that, even if they technically are both wide receivers, do not play the same position. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, these guys are not the same. They're not playing the same position. They're both designated wide receivers, but they're not playing the same position in an offense. So if you want a specific role, you're not drafting Garrett Wilson, number one, or you're not drafting Drake London, number one. Depends what you're looking for. So I don't think there was necessarily a wrong way of organizing that first group of wide receivers. So for them to take Drake London as their number one, fine. No problem with that. Arnold Ebichetti in the second round. Love that. Great value. Like 38 overall, they get a guy who had phenomenal PFF grades, has great uh, technique, fundamentals, is a great athlete as well. As you've pointed out before, is one of those guys that gets overshadowed because all the attention was on what a freaky athlete Trayvon Walker was. So nobody paid any attention like any other good athletes in the draft. But Ebichetti is definitely one of them. Troy Anderson from Montana State. The, the first of the Montana State players yep. to be drafted. One of your favorites here. Well, a linebacker, but a linebacker that played running back and quarterback and lined up at wide receiver, just played wherever the hell they needed him to at Montana State. Football player. Yeah, legitimately. And then goes to the combine and runs like a 4-4 flat. And again, another fantastic athlete. Um, and then they're the team in the third round to take the shot on a quarterback. They get Desmond Ritter. I think that's a great gamble to take in the third round. Um, and then it just kept going. Like they drafted good players all the way down this draft. D'Angelo Malone, Juice on the outside, uh, Tyler Algier, I mean, could come in and just, they released Mike Davis, right? right? So, so he immediately has a path to like a starting position on that, or at least a split backfield with Cordero Patterson. Before, uh, behind Cordero Patterson. I mean, that is, uh, Algier is not, I mean, he averaged 4.4 yards after contact per attempt. I don't think he's, he's not the most explosive guy, big play guy. He just kind of gets what's there type of player, but that's. That's what we're always expecting. The new Thomas Jones? Maybe. No, the model liked him, so it'll be a little better than and Thomas Jones. you know Jones. the model wouldn't like Thomas Jones? The model would have Thomas Jones as the most mediocre player. You know that. You know that. Thomas Jones, Dontrell Inman, it would have him at perfectly dead smack average. Mm-hmm. Not Algier. I, there's, their first six picks can all play. Or yeah. Desmond Ritter be the developmental quarterback right so there's a lot to like about this contributors uh linebacker that hasn't figured it out yet and anderson two edge rushers at a position where they need a better pass rush lowest pass rush uh lowest pressure percentage in the nfl last year by a distance by a distance um and then drake london at receiver that now gives them drake london monster contested catches gets open too for a big guy kyle pitts basically a receiver that they call a tight end. A huge receiver. Biggest catch radius you, 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 in the NFL, potentially, Kyle Pitts. Auden Tate's also just chilling on that roster, too. He's like 
you know, what people describe Drake London as, except Tate really can't get open. Like, he really is just a contested catch guy. But uh, this is uh, – and then Demir Bird, so you get your small, fast guy in Zacchaeus. But mostly, this is a get-off-the-bus, you know, 6'4-plus team. Mm. That's what they're trying to build. That's what they're doing. Like the Jags back with uh, that group that we've talked about a few times. Yeah. I like the draft. I think it was good. One of the best drafts. Good draft, Falcons. Good so draft. I, I gave him an A. Marcus Mariota. So what do you think happens with Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter here? Is think- Mariota the guy for the whole season? Do you? Yeah. How would you treat your third-round quarterbacks, your Desmond Ritters of the world? It's going to be different in Tennessee, where Malik Willis is the backup. And they might actually try to get him on the field because he's such a good athlete. Who knows? But in Atlanta, it's different, right? You have a short contract for Marcus Mariota. He's not the future of the Atlanta Falcons unless he has a Ryan Tannehill-like rejuvenation to his career. Do you treat Ritter the same way you would a first-round pick? Like, hey, whenever no. he's ready, you go. I, no, I think Mariota gets the start, and then you give Desmond Ritter enough reps in practice that you can actually give him any kind of evaluation. And then if he surprises you, like if, if you're like, oh, wow, this guy's actually way better than we thought he was when we valued him as a third-round pick, then all of a sudden you are thinking about, well, what is his path to starting? But if he shows you nothing, then he's just another third-round pick that didn't work out. He's Kellen Mond. Atlanta, a weird team where they, they probably won a lot more games than they should have last year. Yeah, based on I how think they, they knew played. that. Yeah, they knew that. But then they have additions like Casey Hayward. Casey Hayward's like that guy. Like he should be going to contending teams every year as a you know, one-year option to, to fill a hole or whatever. But all of a sudden, you pair him with A.J. Terrell. It's a decent group of corners. If a couple of these pass rushers do hit and they improve there, um, you add Drake London to that receiving core. Of course, you're, you're losing... You don't have over the last couple of years. You've lost Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage, so that needed to be rebuilt from the ground up. You got Drake London though, and Kyle Pitts as your guys. Cordell, Cordero Patterson as your movable chess piece on the offense, and no more Matt Ryan. Of course, you got Marcus Mariota. It's an intriguing team. A lot of turnover at key spots for the Falcons, but I think the roster was in full rebuild mode, and, and this draft certainly moves them in the right direction. Yeah, this was step one of a major rebuild, or I guess step two after trading away Matt Ryan being step one. Um, you're not going to get a much better step two. Like, this is a really good free or really good draft on the back of a free agency where they can't do a ton because they're buried in dead cap money having traded away uh, Matt Ryan. This is as good as you're going to get. Anything else you want to add here? No, I mean, the only – you could, I guess, quibble that if you're, if you're drafting a quarterback of this group um, and he's not going to start right away, certainly, because you got Marcus Mariota in the third round, they're, they're effectively – they're all developmental quarterbacks at that point. If you're taking a developmental guy – Malik Willis, you're saying. Well, Malik Willis, whoever, would, surely it's not Ritter. You know what I mean? Like Ritter's selling point is he's the most pro-ready of the group. It's probably not that he has the highest upside with a, years of de- with a year of development. And, I mean, look, they, they drafted Ritter, I think, in the third round. It's great value, whatever. I'm just – that's a question I would ask, that if you're drafting a third-round quarterback, the guy doesn't need to start. They're all developmental options, at which point why what, – what makes you think that Ritter is that guy to, to have? I would like Atlanta beat writers, if you're out there listening, I would like somebody to ask them that question. Why is Desmond Ritter – the best developmental quarterback you could select at number 74. They'll just define developmental differently. 
But I think it's a question. Reads the offense fast, so therefore he'll read it faster at some point. You know, like people, people look at that. That's not. I mean, where's the? That's not developing. It's just. That was like Mac Jones, right? You come in, you read the offense really fast, faster than anybody else, and then you can start. Bang. You're good. Yeah, but he could get better at that stuff, too. You right, but, be- like, the big question with Mac Jones right now is how good can he get? We know he's good at the stuff that he was good at. He's still good at that. How much – where's his ceiling? We still have no idea. Um, but the thing the, – the, the advantage that Ritter brings to the table is being able to get thrown in there week one and not die. He's not going to get thrown in there week one, so he's, what's the advantage he's bringing to the table? You're the best. The advantage is he can get thrown in week one and not die. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's skill. I mean, there's, there is, but my point is that's set. not, they're not using that skill because he's almost certainly not going to start. Understood. I'm curious to know if the Falcons in particular look at Ritter, treat Ritter like a first round prospect, and when he's ready, it's, it, it's his time. Because they are in rebuild. And again, unless Marcus Mariota looks a lot better than he did the last time he started with the Titans, then they probably want to see that development from Ritter. A guy that some people thought could go in the first round, even though the NFL as a group did not value him there. All right, let's go Carolina Panthers here. The Panthers, where did they end up here? Pretty high. Dead smack in the middle. Really? 17th. Tied for 17th with the Chargers as far as GPA goes. We gave them an A, though. I like this draft. We gave the Panthers an A. There's not if, – if we had more Panthers fans, they would probably call you a Panthers hater. I don't think we have enough fans to – Rail against your railing against the Panthers, but you're giving them some compliments here as far as their draft. Well, this feels like another one where if you're if you're heavily downgrading this draft, it's simply because you're downgrading trading away draft picks. Now, that's an easier argument to make for the Panthers than it is the Rams because they traded away draft picks for the likes of Sam Darnold or Stephon Gilmore, who's no longer with the team. You know, they didn't make a good use of their draft picks that they pissed away. The Rams traded their draft picks for people that won them a Super Bowl, so it's hard to. It's hard to say, well, they don't have any picks, so it's an F. Like, what? Look where they went. Whereas with Carolina, it's like, ah, uh, yeah, okay. It's a fair point. We used those draft picks for Sam Darnold, and that didn't go well. So I guess I can at least see that case. Third rounder for C.J. Henderson. But it still feels harsh to me to downgrade a team's draft for the things they did years ago. Yeah, no, I a get year it. ago. So they get Iki Ikuanu at six. So based off what they had, which was a pick at six, and then not a pick again until 137, they came away with Iki Ikuanu, who was in the running to go number one overall for periods of this pre-draft process, who was a lot of people's number one tackle on the board. Was he number three for us? Um, I think he was two. I think Evan Neal was three. Okay. But either way, there was that Neal was one on my board. There was that top three group of tackles, all of whom were very closely uh, arranged, and I think you could fairly say that Iki Aquino was number one on a lot of people's boards, if not most. So they came away with him as their number one pick, and then it's a waiting game. Now you got to sit there and wonder what's going to happen with these quarterbacks because that was your big problem. That was your opportunity to draft a quarterback. You didn't do it. Now you got to sit there and see what happens. They didn't have a pick until, what, 106? 137, I think, was 137. their 137. They traded back up into the third round to right number seven. 94 to get Matt Corral. Yeah. So then they eventually, they get towards the end of the third round, and they go, okay, that's far enough. Let's go make a move. And they jump up. They grab Matt Corral at 94. Um, you trade up to get him, so, you know, it's not as good as if you'd managed to get him all the way at 137, but whatever. To, get, to come out of this draft with Iki Iquanu, a lot of people's number one tackle, and an answer at quarterback. 
Doesn't even matter what the answer is, just something. Something that isn't Sam Donald. A non-Donald answer. Right. I think immediately makes this a decent draft. Then you've got, you know, round, you got a fourth round pick, you got a sixth, uh, a few sixths, and you got a, a seventh. I think they added interesting players at that point. So I, I don't see how you can come away with the conclusion this is anything other than a good draft. My question is, if the quarterbacks went when we thought, which was like, you know, one in the top ten and maybe two sneaks in, but there's two or three in the first, there's a couple, a couple fall to the second. The over-under was two and a half quarterbacks in the first. Yeah. And most people were taking the over. We had legit debates. Like, do you, you know, do a couple of these teams take them in the top ten and one falls late first, somebody t- trades back in or whatever. People expected Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, and another to go in the, in the first round. Maybe Desmond Ritter, maybe Matt Corral, whatever it is. That was the expectation. And obviously, that looks absurd post-draft. But even, remember, our, our round one recap podcast. was like, oh, what the hell happened? Only one quarterback in the first round. How far are these guys going to fall? And you raised, you were like, none of them are going to fall to day three, right? I was like, that seemed absurd at the First time. I said round three. I was like, we're talking about, like, some of these guys are going to go round three. And realistically, they went, you know, Sam Howell goes round five. Right. Like, that seemed insane that they could last till day three. And then Sam Howell lasts all the way to the top of the fifth round. Um, so everybody, what everybody thought about the quarterbacks seems ridiculous with hindsight. But for Carolina to come out of this with, a, with Matt Corral, who was a, a player a lot of people thought was a first-round first prospect in terms of where he would be selected, not in terms of abstract, you know, first-round grade, but was, you know, quarterback three, four in this draft class – it's good. So, yeah. The idea of getting Matt Carell in the third round is fine. Here's my concern with this whole thing. You have Sam Darnold as your starter, and now the backup is Matt Carell, the guy that the NFL valued as a third rounder. You traded up to go get Matt Carell. Had the quarterbacks gone in the first round when we had expected and the Panthers got one of them or whatever, isn't that an easier... You're like, this is... You, you're making my argument back to me. No, I'm saying you're going to have a lot more confidence if the entire NFL valued these quarterbacks as first and second round picks and you got one of them, right? Whether it was at six or through a trade down or whatever it is, no, n- name a quarterback, doesn't matter. Let's pretend it's Matt Corral, first round pick. Now it's like, all right, we have our first round pick, Matt Corral, who we evaluated as such and the NFL did as well or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's the guy. It's going to be his job at some point. But now what you have is a quarterback that the NFL didn't value before pick 94. You traded up to get because uh, somewhat out of desperation, who you didn't value enough to take at six, obviously. And you think he's worse than Sam Darnold, basically. You think he's worse than Sam Darnold. You're stuck with Sam Darnold right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas the alter- I, think, I think the Panthers are in this middle ground, unless Matt Corral becomes becomes Dak Prescott as like hey the dude's just he's just got it right away you are stuck in this middle ground if you come out with no quarterback you're like man I don't want to roll into the season with Sam Darnold again I will look at Baker Mayfield I will look at Jimmy Garoppolo and there's a play to be made there at least for the short term now you're in this like Sam Darnold's the guy right now Sam Darnold is the starter for the Panthers I mean because of this move I think this is an open competition from day one yeah, Sam Darnold's better than Matt Corral. 
Everyone else is. We I think most that. people are, would evaluate Sam Donald as be- better than Matt Corral now based off what we know in the draft. I mean, we, the problem with Matt Corral was not that we know he sucks. It's that we really don't know what he is because he ran an RPO offense and we had no earthly idea whether he can read defense. Oh, chances or, are he's not ready right yeah, away. probably. This but, sounds very Sam Donald-ish, too. He had a 91 PFF grade through week seven, and then that was fourth highest, and then that dropped 20 grading points to 70 for the rest yeah, of the season. I mean, I mean, that, was, that was Donald ebb and flow that he had at USC. But Corral is an unknown rather than a bad which is different to Darnold, who's a bad. Uh, look, I'm not saying it's bad to have Matt Corral on the team. I think it's great to have him in the third round. I'm glad that the Panthers got someone. All I'm saying is they're, I don't think they're exploring Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, insert whatever potential quarterback might be available now because they have Matt Corral and Sam Darnold. And that, and that the likelihood is it's most likely that Sam Darnold is the starter for the Carolina Panthers. So the thing that you hate the most is Sam Darnold <laughs> playing quarterback for the Panthers. This draft solidified that is the most likely scenario for the 2022 Carolina Panthers. Whereas if they did not draft a quarterback and they let all of these guys fall and said, we don't love any of them, that's fine. Then I think they're going back to the free agent well and trading well and if, trying to figure something out. If they didn't draft a quarterback, I think they could easily have talked themselves into starting Darnold again for a year. Just said, tank it. Well, not even tank it. Just say, well, look... I, I, if I remember correctly, Sam Darnold was 3-0 and last year when we had Christian McCaffrey and everything was going well before the offensive line fell apart and blah, blah, blah. I think they could easily talk themselves down the diluted road that, like, Sam Darnold just got unlucky last year, just the way he got unlucky for the first few years of the Jets and, you know, in USC when he was bad. Like, it was all – Sam Darnold is the unluckiest quarterback in the face of the planet, and 2022 will be different. 2022 will finally catch a break, and we will get the good Sam Darnold that Dan Orlovsky has been talking about for years. That's what's going to happen. I think they could have talked themselves into that. So they didn't. They, gar- they grabbed a quarterback. And In I the third say, round. They, yeah. could still talk, they, they could still have that same conversation. Right. But, so I think where you draft a quarterback matters if you had the full complement of draft picks, right? So this is where I think it gets complicated because if you take a quarterback at round one, He's your, he's your presumptive future starter. He is going to get an opportunity at some point, right, unless he absolutely stinks immediately and it takes you like 48 hours to realize that you made a terrible mistake, only the store won't take him back, you know? If you take him in the second round... The store won't take him back. The second round, I think, is where it gets awkward because we've talked up that's where you should take a drew lock right that's where you should take a daniel jones that's where you should take those guys that have nfl tools but you're not massively confident in it because there's something missing or the play has never been quite there blah 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 that's where you take those guys but if you do take them in the second round they have less opportunities you have less invested in them and everybody knows that you don't really think they're that good you know it's it's different like daniel jones taking at six Immediately, we were giving the Giants crap for it because you're like, well, you're overdrafting that guy by 20 picks minimum, um, probably closer to 40. Uh, but for Daniel Jones, it's great. I like the Giants love me. I'm going to get a couple of years starting here. I get the chance to show that I can lead Big Blue back to the promised land. Um, Whereas Drew Locke is never thinking that for Denver. Drew Locke is like, maybe I can fight my way to an opportunity, and if I play well, I can ball out and I can get this job. But he's not like, this is my team. I'm going for it. I'm going to be the guy. So there's a difference between drafting that guy in the first or the second round. And there's probably a difference, again, between the second round, where you're like, developmental guy may get a shot, to the third round, where it's like, you're a backup, and if you get lucky, you might get on the field, right? But that difference changes 
if you didn't have the second rounder and you didn't even have the third rounder, you had to make a move to make that happen because the options were we draft you at six and look, we love you, son, but you're not that good. We draft you at six or we're going to grab you whenever the hell we can the next time it comes up. And we made the move up to get you in the third round. You're as good as you're going to get in terms of giving us a shot at a quarterback, but you weren't worth six overall. I think there's a much, there's a vast difference in like everybody's perception about this signing, this draft pick, than if they just had a second pick and drafted him there. Yeah, so I get it. I'm less talking about the psychology of the player or the team or the pick or anything like that. I guess I'm kind of leaning on the wisdom of the crowd's deal and the consensus stuff and everything. If if the consensus or the big board or whatever doesn't value these quarterbacks and you got one as an afterthought, then you're gonna then you're gonna roll with Sam Darnold. But he was 44 on the consensus board. That's fine. So I'm, I'm mid not even, second round. That's pick. fine. Like I, Corral's fine as a prospect. Like I think he's gritty and. He's going to go out there and make some throws under pressure and do some stuff. Like he might be fine from a consensus. I'm just board saying. Standpoint. I think the pan- I think this is revealing that the Panthers and the NFL valued him at this point. And maybe the Panthers didn't really have the opportunity to get him. Right. But the rest of the NFL valued him at this point, which is a data point that the the rest of the NFL doesn't value Corral that high. Which makes me think maybe he's not going to challenge Sam Darnold. Which makes me think the Panthers, because they got someone else, aren't going to make a move for a different quarterback. Which isn't going to save the franchise anyway. But in the short term, I think the Panthers are going Sam Darnold. I think it just kind of locks in Sam Darnold as their starter. I no, I think that. I mean, Whereas so, if they took Pickett at six, it's like, well, it's Kenny Pickett's team. Whenever he's ready, of course. But that's drafting a quarterback at six. He's essentially Drew Locke from a consensus standpoint. A consensus board standpoint. He was the 44th overall prospect. And it's a steal. It's a steal in the third round to get Matt Corral. Right. And even if he's slightly lower than that, right, even if the consensus board was higher on him than the rest of the league, he is that type of prospect. And that type of prospect is walking onto a team that has a terrible starter. So at the very minimum, he is going to be given an opportunity to win that job. Now, if he doesn't win it, he doesn't win it. But there's no way the Panthers are looking at this and going, sorry, Matt, this is... This is Sam's job here. That guy's going to be difficult to unseat. You're going to have to show something pretty special for us to make that move, you know, or even adjust the, uh, the snaps in training camp. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to really show us something, really open our eyes for us to adjust this, this uh, situation. They have got this dude sitting there. They would be desperate to get off the chair. So if Matt Corral, like, throws one good pass in training camp, he's going to get given a shot with the ones. If he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't throw three interceptions in a row – He's going to get, like, an even split of snaps. Like, he's going to be given every possible chance to win that job, and then it's up to him whether he's got that in him in year one. Yeah, I like the move. You're right. Maybe Matt Corral has a spot. I, I think the Panthers are going to lean on Sam more than you think. I know you like Damari Barno, the sixth rounder, really fast edge defender runs a 4-3-6. They got some athletes at the end. Kalen Barnes, the Baylor corner. Obviously, Matt Rule's got connections there with Baylor. 4-2-3, 40-yard dash. So they mm-hmm. went with some athletic projections basically the whole day three brandon smith out of penn state linebacker who another 90 90th percentile 40 broad and short shuttle that'll be fun to watch uh, as a lot of teams i think some teams lean heavily on the day three athletic projections but this is like almost every pick here yeah. is, is the way the there, panthers went there are definitely teams that sort of go well look once you're in the fifth sixth, and seventh round where nobody pans out you might as well take a guy that's a freak athlete and hope that you can teach him how to play football um, of the three, there were three corners that had absurd athletic profiles. There was Tariq Woolen, who we talked about to the Seahawks in the fifth round. There was Zion McCollum, 
who went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a few picks later, I think also in the fifth round. And then Kalen Barnes, who had the 4-2-3, but also had a 40-inch vertical, 11-foot broad jump. I think Barnes is the best corner of the three. Yep. Like, they're all freak athletes, but this is the one that's actually a half-decent football player in addition to the freak. And he went two rounds later. So I love that. No, I agree. So there is a lot to like about the Panthers draft. Can't wait to see the opportunity Matt Corral gets as a third-round pick. You have an opportunity to get 25% off, by the way. NFL Pod, it's the promo code. Any PFF subscription, 25% off. Of course, you have all of our unlocked content. You get the grades, the stats, the fantasy projections, the gambling stuff. It's all there. It's all in the PFF subscriptions. Use the promo code NFL Pod, 25% off any subscription right now. You can get the monthly. You can get the 20, uh, 365 days of access. Just use NFL Pod. Get 25% off. Saints and Bucks left here. Let's go Saints. Wow, what a power move to go get Chris Olave. So mm-hmm. coming in, we were theorizing, is it quarterback? Is it quarterback? We, we took a step back and said, maybe it's just to fill the needs at receiver and left tackle. And that is exactly what the Saints did with all of that draft capital to maneuver into the first round. An extra first rounder before the draft and then on draft night up to number 11 to get Chris Olave. So here's where we need a ruling on what you count as grading this draft because by my by my definition previously set down you don't consider the saints trading back into the first round with philadelphia a couple weeks ago that's not relevant to their draft class what you the only thing you consider is what they did on draft day the trade up to go get alave but the fact that they had two first round picks is just the lay of the land that's just the stipulations of their draft they are going into this draft with two first-round picks. We don't ask questions where those picks came from because if you do, that's where you massively hate on the Alave pick. You know, there are people out there that have sort of totted up the sum totality of what they traded when you consider all the trades. You're like, whoa, that, they've traded all of these picks for Alave. Like, well, there's no way he's worth that. And this is true, but that's also not their draft. That's just that's the team construction overall. Well, because we're the PFF NFL podcast and we're nuanced here, we could do both. You can grade the things they did on draft night. We've already done, we've already given them, you know, we've already talked about their first move. We've already talked about how they got the second pick. So now we're just talking about what they did on draft night. That's their grade. I think you have to go back and look at everything that they gave up to go get Chris Olave. You have to. You can't. It's not their draft. You have to in this analysis. Maybe not in your draft grades. Fine. But the draft grades didn't love the Saints. I think somebody factored it in. They I had think a lot of people factored it in. That's my problem. 27th. There's Is people out there giving them a D minus. Come on. You can't do that without saying, well, they gave up all of this for Chris Olave. That's ridiculous. I like the point you made. Maybe four teams. They might have been the third team that got their wide receiver one. Yes. On their draft board. So the Falcons obviously did with Drake London. The Jets probably did with Garrett Wilson. Yep. The Saints may have with Chris Olave at 11. Mm-hmm. And the Lions may have with Jameson Williams at 12. Yeah. I, I, I think four teams got the top wide receiver on their board in this draft, of which the Saints were one. But we, we analyzed team building in general. In the team building— Not in draft grades, we don't. I mean, we could do it on the draft grades show, right? No. Because then you're muddying the water and you're doing what these other so people have done. So when can we analyze everything that they gave up for Chris Olave? We already did it. This. We did it in one part where no, we analyzed. Because then they traded up again. Yes, yeah, so that's what we analyzed here in our draft grades episode. We already covered 
what they gave up to get back into the first round and why they did it and all those things. Now, all we're focusing on is what did they do with those two first-round picks? I just think it's fascinating that to get Chris Olave and Trevor Penning and another player, Jordan Jackson. What do we have? 2023 first, 2024 second, pick 16, round Stop one. Stop it. Three first-rounders total? Four first-rounders? No, three first-rounders total, a couple twos, threes. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. Trying to follow Warren Sharp's tweet here that he's getting trashed for, too. People are dragging him for that, but yeah, that's fine. Shocker. Well, he's because he's adding the players into the mix, too. It's not about the players, it's about the draft capital and the opportunity cost. It's just a lot of investment, specifically for Chris Olave. Specifically for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like Trevor Penning, you, you get him anyway. If you just did nothing, you get Trevor Penning. The moves. Essentially, the Saints traded multiple firsts and twos and the whole thing for Chris Olave. That's the thing that you can analyze. What we're analyzing here in our draft grades of the New Orleans Saints is the Saints using number 16 overall and then a third and a fourth round pick to go get Chris Olave. Okay. And then what they had remaining after they had done that. So knowing in the back of our minds, but not putting into the grading criteria that they gave up a massive haul just to get in this position. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they gave up. Essentially, they flip 11, they move up five spots, give up three and a four. Because remember, that's future Mickey's fault. That's future Mickey's problem. This We are grading current Mickey. Mickey, Mickey fact, lives in Thursday night of the draft. We're, we're, we're actually evaluating past Mickey, not future Mickey. Okay. So what do you think of that? Well. Three players to move up five spots. Yeah. I mean, two extra players to give, to move up five spots. Right. So I think generally it's an overpay. On the other hand, there was a wide receiver run at that point, and they had clearly targeted. This was a team drafting for need, right? The thing we speculated when they made those first, that the move to get back into the first round was, are they just doing this because they have a hole at left tackle and a hole at wide receiver, and they're going to fill both of them in the first round? If that was the plan, and that looks a lot like that was the plan, the run on wide receivers at the top of this draft is playing merry hell with what they were planning on doing because all of a sudden you've got two wide receivers fly off the board in the top 10 and the guy that you want presumably chris Olave, is he going to make it to 18 no probably not exactly so they make sorry 16 so they make the trade they overpaid but they got their guy you okay with that i mean moderately I would rather they didn't overpay, but they. I don't. I think Could those. Have had are, Dotson I think those are mutually exclusive. I don't think they can get Chris Olave and not make that trade. I also think there was a significant difference between Chris Olave and Jahan Dotson. Now, Jamison Williams. I don't think he'd have lasted that long either. Obviously, he didn't. He went twelve to Detroit. So you're you're going to be if they stayed where they were and they picked number sixteen, the chances are they're drafting wide receiver number five, which is either Jahan Dotson. Sky Moore, George Pickens, these are guys that went a hell of a lot lower down. Christian Watson, they're not getting... If they think that Alave is wide receiver one in this draft, the drop between that and that, the group of guys that would have been available to them is huge. I mean, but that's, that's the whole point of this whole thing and why it's risky, right? I mean, just one example to think about. The Bills a few years ago when they drafted Sammy Watkins moved from 12, I believe it was. It was 10 or 11, 12, whatever that is. They moved up to go get Sammy Watkins at four. Mm-hmm. who was, I think, universally acknowledged as wide receiver one in that particular draft class. But Mike Evans went like 13th in that draft. 
clearly has been a better player than Sammy Watkins, maybe outside of one season where Sammy Watkins was, was awesome, right? I mean, that is the risk with this whole thing. And probably more so at receiver than other positions like edge or whatever that are more predictable. But this is how the Saints operate, right? They went up to go get Marcus Davenport. I, Marcus Davenport could have, if, this, if he is Reggie White this season, I still think the Saints probably lost that Davenport dra- uh, trade. Not even, not even before they had snaps, but in hindsight, they yeah. did as well with all the value that they gave up to go get one player. Yes, I think it's a fair point. I will. I think you're. I think you're right. But because it just happens to the the data happens to have fallen this way, I'm going to shit on you whilst agreeing with you anyway. Uh, thing generally speaking, you're right and. Yeah, they they probably shouldn't make that move. But number one, New Orleans so New Orleans more than any other team clearly believes that they're better at this than other people. Like we're just able to identify talent better than you are. We're gonna go get our guy. We don't care where you have him valued. We don't care what it costs to get him. We're gonna get him. We're gonna be right. Screw you. Uh and generally speaking, recently they have been kind of right. It's so, had a great run. Doesn't same. mean it'll continue, but that's just part of the process, right? They believe that they're better at this than you are. Now you brought up the Sammy Watkins draft, right? And yeah, they, the difference between Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans probably wasn't much at the time. And Mike Evans has proven to be the better player. After both those guys, Odell Beckham Jr., even better, right? But we're not talking about the difference between one and two. We're talking about the difference between one and five. You know who the number five receiver in that draft was? <laughs> who? Kelvin Benjamin. You know who number six was? Marquise Lee. Number seven, Jordan Matthews. Number eight, Paul Richardson. That's what we're talking about here. It's not the difference between one and two. It's the difference between one and five. It's the drop-off from yes. that guy. I got you. That's the thing. So New Orleans is looking at this and saying. Is Olave the cutoff? Saying we're not. Jameson Williams Right. We're not debating between Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. We're debating between Olave Christian Watson or John Dotson or whoever. Like, we think there's a... trash in my point. I mean, there's, there's some... I mean, I can't, I mean, that's why they didn't want to do it. They don't want, they don't want uh, Calvin Benjamin. They don't. Okay. I wouldn't want Calvin Benjamin either. I mean, Justin Jefferson was wide receiver five his year, wasn't he? Probably, yeah. Ahead of, you know, Jalen Rager was wide receiver four. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, at some point, like, sometimes there are these big drop-offs in draft classes at one position the saints thought there was one right there assuming you the rest it. of the league agreed and it's that is it's an analytical reason. view that i can get behind is that you could say historically hey that there's a drop off between the top three and uh, or four receivers in the next bunch or whatever it is or if you know don't get qb5 because whatever historically but of course qb5 last year was, was mac jones i mean that's that's what's tough about those things there's these historical precedents that are all tiny sample sizes and then at the same point you say well Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown were second rounders they were second round picks so was Ter- Terry yeah. McLaurin was a third round pick there's also their own Michael Thomas was a second round pick so there's also this history of Cooper Cup there's also this history of receivers in the second and third round yeah I mean look this you is gave why... up a third rounder who, do, who went in the third that they could have taken at receiver this is why we preach that generally speaking drafting for need is not a good thing to do you don't want to put yourself in a position where you need to get a certain position in the draft because if the draft doesn't fall your way you're kind of boned your two options at that point well three i guess your two options your three options at that point are to do what the saints did go and trade and make sure they get the guy thereby giving up extra draft capital to fill a position 
that is already not necessarily the right way of doing it, to sit there and draft the next player at that position, regardless of how good he is, so reach, essentially, or adjust your draft strategy, pick a different position, and then grab that guy later on down in the draft um, and hope that there isn't this big drop-off. So the Saints had those two first-round picks. They're looking for wide receiver. They're looking for offensive tackle. As things happened, the top three tackles are gone, right? The top wide receivers are about to be gone. So if they had just sat there at 16 and 18, they would have gotten Trevor Penning, but they weren't in a a position to get any of the three top guards. Um, And they wouldn't have gotten Chris Alave. They would have had to either take a completely different position, which they don't want to do because they have the two holes that they need filling, or just pick the next receiver. Either way is not good. So one, this is, it's kind of, it's not good process is what I'm saying. But once you're in that position, I think these are kind of the moves you have to make. Yeah, I'm trying to take a bit of a more holistic approach. It's fascinating. Look, I, I, love, I love that the Saints do their own thing. The Rams do their own thing. And teams have their own strategies. The Panthers doing their own thing, right? Rebuilding team, trading away draft picks, fine. Uh, even though one of them's for C.J. Henderson, a former first-round pick. I think the tricky part here is like the Rams trading a five for Troy Hill because they've also maneuvered the cap enough that they could fit fit Troy Hill in there, right? The Saints don't – they're not doing anything from that respect. Like, they're up against it with the cap, but they're not offsetting it by trading – by drafting in volume to add to the team. They're also trading up and getting fewer players there. So they're getting fewer high-contract uh, – low-contract players, and they're also paying to the max on their salary cap and restricted – they're restricting themselves from, say, the middle class of the NFL. And that's the second part of the Rams' stars and scrubs strategy. It's not scrubs, it's middle class, right? It's being able to get the middle class players on the cheap. And doesn't that feel like where the Saints might be lacking? Because if you're aggressive in free agency and with the cap and you're aggressive in the draft, you're going to start you're, – you're going to – you're just going to end up having too many weaknesses everywhere. I mean, I don't think they're really restricted from doing anything. I mean, they they signed Tyron Matthew as soon as the draft was over. As soon as as he no longer counted against the compensatory formula. Right, they did. Tyron Matthew to a pretty decent deal, right? They're not – they can make moves. That's a nice move. They can make whatever moves they want to make. This is just – the draft fell in a way that is not helpful. It's it's another top-heavy move. Right, and you have a top-heavy move with top-heavy. Is it top-heavy, or is that like middle-class kind of deals? They're paying them a lot. Of, are they going to pay them a lot of money? I think it was thirty million for three years or something. It's like ten million a year. I mean, it's, it's upper class. It's an upper class move. I don't. I don't think they're. They're not tapping into the NFL middle class a ton. Uh, the Which Troy Hills of the world. The Troy Hills of the world. Three yeah. years, thirty-three with a, with eighteen. That's guaranteed. tough. I mean, anytime you're over ten. In today's NFL, that's, that's certainly upper class. It's not, it's not 20. I mean, it's not breaking the bank. But they're more likely to invest in, say, one Tyron Matthew rather than, say, two Troy Hills. When two Troy Hills would be a fascinating study here, right? If you Because you have Marshawn Lattimore as a star corner. You have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a really good slot. Last year, Paulson Adebo comes in, and they just drafted Elante Taylor to maybe compete with him at corner. Like, what if you had just two Troy Hills there? competing where you have a solid starting number two where you actually have a question mark number two corner right so you have a star and a question mark rather than a star and solid um, in exchange for having a star safety in in tyron matthew 
I mean, I think generally the Saints, I think they have a pretty good roster. Like, this is not... The problem the Saints have is that they are perfectly willing and happy to head into a draft with a glaring need that they need to fill. And all that does is expose you to unforeseen circumstances where the draft doesn't unfold the way you thought it would, and now you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, and you have to do something not good to fix it. You either get aggressive... You either get foolishly aggressive or foolishly passive, essentially. And they choose to be foolishly aggressive because that's the way they operate. They're always fix, the, fix today's problem today. Tomorrow's problem is future Mickey's issue. So I don't love the process generally to walk into the draft needing to, to fill two holes. Once the draft started to unfold the way it did, I think they kind of had to make that move for Alave. And ultimately what we're talking about is the Saints coming out of this draft with their two firsts intact – and those two first turning into Chris Olave and Trevor Penning with the addition of some extra draft picks. I mean, look, That's reasonable. They, they have a chance at impact players here. Olave, dude knows how to get open, much like fellow Ohio State Buckeye Michael Thomas. They'll both, they're both on the roster right now. Uh, Marcos Callaway there pushes him down the depth chart as, as well as Traquan Smith. And Deontay Hardy gets to be that you know, change of pace deep threat. It's a much better receiving core yeah. than they've had in the past. Trevor Penning steps in as the starting left tackle. Does have some work to do as a pass protector, but man, he will. He could. I don't want to say improve that run game. He's not better than Teron Armstead. You're taking a step back, but again, that's the the move you need to make when you lose a star like Armstead. So the offensive line has a chance to to maintain where they are. And adding Tyron Matthew, that is an excellent move. The turnover at safety with Matthew and Marcus May coming in, it'll look a little bit different back there. But they're both productive players. I think the round two pick, Alante Taylor, he was 138 yeah. on the PFF draft board. He's athletic. Never really been productive. There are questions if he's, you know, did they want him at safety? Probably not now with Matthew coming in, but he'll probably compete at the outside cornerback spot. And then the model loved Demarcus Jack, DeMarco Jackson, Appalachian State, pick 181. That's my favorite pick for the Saints in this entire draft. Yeah, the Alante Taylor pick, I think, was a pretty significant reach. And that, that might be worse than trading away the third and the fourth to get Chris Olave. Um, like if you'd if you'd come away with this draft with the two first rounders that you liked, and then I don't know what was available in the second round at that point uh, that they could have had instead of Taylor, I think that's probably a better thing than even if you had the third and the fourth round pick and taking whatever receiver is available. Yeah, and they're they're out of a first round pick next year because of because of all this maneuvering, right? They they essentially decided. We want next year's first round pick a year early, which, by the way, if you it's, it's not the craziest thing in the world, right? It's because some people discount the future picks because people want their picks right now in their in the Saints mind. They've got their two for next year's first rounder this year. It's Chris Olave or Tr- Trevor Penning or whoever, whichever guy you want to say is next year's pick. And you got him a year early. But I think the rest of your team building strategy has to, you know, have that in mind that you're also out the first-round pick next year. So like the Saints are going to come out of this year, and it's like, oh, this other hole popped up. We, we need another linebacker or corner. We have to replace Marcus Davenport or whatever it might be. Let's do Oh, wait, we can't do it in the first round next year because we, yeah. you know, we have Chris Olave and Trevor Penning. We already had that guy. So you just have to be able to anticipate that and build around it. But you're right. The Saints have been really good at this through the years. Also had Drew Brees to help. So. And Sean Payton. And Sean Payton. So, always interesting strategy from the Saints and then the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, the Saints were low, right? We said, yeah, pretty low. They were twenty seventh. Tampa Bay Bucks finished uh, toward the middle of the pack, fourteenth 
in the consensus, and we gave them a B because that's that's about what it feels like for the Bucks. Traded out of the first round, Logan Hall, six six two eighty three, interior pass rusher slash maybe edge, but uh, hybridy type of player that they get with their first selection. He should be able to contribute right away. Yeah, so the Bucks went the other way, right? They were in a similar position to the Saints in terms of they're sitting there in the first round. They need an offensive lineman. They need a guard to replace Ali Marpet, who's retired. Um, but the board doesn't go their way. All of a sudden, guards start getting drafted higher than we thought they were. Kenyon Green goes in the, the middle of the first round of the Texans. Zion Johnson goes. Um, the offensive line, uh, Tyler Smith. Anybody the Bucks might have been thinking of taking in the first round off the board. So instead of doing what New Orleans did and seeing the run coming or anticipating it and making a trade up and going and getting their guy, they went, the guys we want aren't here, let's trade out. So they trade out of the first round to the top of the second and pick a different position entirely. All, all, they grab Logan Hall. Um, I think a good, a good player for that defense can come in and you know compliment Avita Vea probably more realistically replace an Andamakan Sue at this point in his career who doesn't appear to be uh, a factor going forward so that's a good pick and then later on the second round 57 that's where they get an offensive lineman they they grab a guy there that can come in probably compete to start right away and sure is that what you wanted you know would you prefer Zion Johnson if you were given the choice absolutely but that's the like these are the risks right when you go into the first round with the need that you need to fill, this can happen. And you either treat it the way the Saints treat it or you treat it the way the Bucks did. And I don't hate this answer to it either. The, the one, the solution to that problem that I would be the most harsh on is the sitting at the same position and just drafting the next guard. If you just drafted Luke Gadecki. Right, so they just drafted Luke Gadecki in the first. If they did with the Patriots. <laughs> Maybe they would have taken Cole Strange. Right. If they like, had. That's the thing that I would have the biggest problem with is sitting there and just taking a guy at a massive reach because that's the need that you have. If, you, if you're aggressive to head it off and you trade up, I, I, I'm okay with that. I don't know that I would do it myself, but I, I don't hate the aggression. And if you do what the Bucks did, you trade down and get him lower on. Fine. So we had um, so Gadecki comes in, uh, played tackle at Central Michigan, of course, because he's a Central Michigan offensive lineman. Where did he start? What was his first position, Sam? Tight end, Steve. Tight end convert. They all did. J.J. Uh, Watt, Raymond, Ryman, uh-huh. Gadecki. Uh-huh. All of them. I'm sure there's more. There it's has to be. More. If you went to Western, Central, or Eastern Michigan, you are a converted tight end. Yeah. And then you just, uh, all you just get tight ends and you just spread them around the field. Yeah. So Gadecki, I mean, he played tackle at 92.2 grade last year. And... I mean, he's he's got the early early slot at left left guard because the I mean last year's pick Robert Hainsey maybe competes there. You've guys like Aaron Stinney, Nick Lever. I mean, nobody's established. It's a job to be guard. won, right? Absolutely, a job to be won uh, that can be won. That's pick fifty-seven. That's pretty solid for the Bucks. I think maneuvering to to do that because you're right. If they they probably liked Gadecki enough. I mean, look, he was probably top thirty-two on their board or top thirty-five or forty on their board, right? Because that's how things diverge by that point. But they did a good job not taking him too high. Logan Hall, we actually had Gadecki higher than Logan Hall on our draft board. We had Hall down at 72. He goes at 33. Um, I think part of part of it is the the tweener aspect of it, right? So the same way yeah. DeMarvin Leal goes to the Steelers, I think Logan Hall going to the Bucks fits, right? You wouldn't throw him you wouldn't throw Logan Hall into like the old school traditional fourth or whatever, the traditional four three system and say, hey, go play three tech de- technique all downs. The Bucks still use a five tech, and that's what Logan Hall's 
body type is, right? Line up over the tackle, kick inside, rush the passer from the interior on third downs. Um, intriguing size that they've added with Logan Hall and uh, Joe Tryon showing Inca last, uh, last couple of years as far as pass rushers go. Um, and then I like Rashad White at 91. I mean, as a player, whatever you want to say about running back, but third round, pick 91, Rashad White, I think one of the best open field running backs in this entire draft and something Leonard Fournette doesn't really bring to the table here. They might be expanding their pass game a little bit with White now in the mix. Right, the receiving back that they haven't had. Like, remember, that was yeah. Giovanni Bernard last year for a period because they didn't have anybody else that could do it. Right? Ronald Jones has never been able to catch. Leonard Fournette is not a good receiving back. Gio Bernard became that guy. And look, Gio Bernard is not exactly a great running back in today's NFL. So it makes sense for this roster, for this offense, to get a guy that can fill that role. Yeah, so just to be clear, too, like Fournette took great strides last year, but the, the Bruce Arians offense isn't asking the running back to like line up out wide and win one-on-one. It's not giving two-way goes. It's really a lot of – like the running back is used in the check-down game. It's like catch the ball, go upfield. Um, what I'm wondering is with Arians out of the picture, and it's still Byron Leftwich, but, I mean, how much is Tom Brady going to have a little bit more impact here and say, like, the way the Patriots used running backs was as, mi- as a mismatch weapon, right? Like, in this particular game, you're going to go own this linebacker, and you're going to have 10 catches. And it was actually game-planned. It wasn't just a check-down thing. I wonder if White, maybe not right away. It's tough to do it right away. But if he has that type of ability to where he becomes a weapon more than just on third down, more than just as a check-down guy. Uh, but he has that type of open-field ability that the Bucks didn't have. So add some versatility on offense. Uh, our guy Trevor Sikkiman, pretty connected with the Bucks, said they really wanted a tight end, maybe a Trey McBride. They get Kate Otten, who's more of a more of a run blocker there in the fourth round, um, and then that guy you mentioned, Zion McCollum, mm-hmm. as the developmental corner, who's really athletic. Getting those guys in the fifth, him and Tariq Woolen, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think I like that uh, as a pick. Um, so I think generally the Bucks. They also, what do you make of the weird run on special teamers, kickers, and punters in the fourth round? Why? The fourth. It's very high to be drafting specialists. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm torn on it because I know you can't predict kickers. It's tough to predict kickers. But the Ravens, I mean, the Ravens were in that mix because they did have six fourths, right? Yeah, and they said, look, they had a one punter draft class. So you just one guy, they would, and they took him in the fourth. I mean, the, the fourth Fine. round hit rate's not well. fourth. Fourth round's reasonable unless it's like your only pick. Like, if you have one fourth-round pick and you have no five and you have a six and a seven or something like that, and it's one of your three day three picks, it's tough. Tough pill to swallow. But I don't think it's crazy because the hit rate in the fourth round isn't great either, even though there's a lot of players on the draft board where you're like, man, I'd love to have that guy. I don't want to waste it on a kicker or a punter, but I kind of get it. I, it's one of those things you you try not to be put yourself into that position, right? You don't want to be so kicker-strapped or punter-strapped that you have to take one in the fourth. At the same time, good kickers also cost money. No, I know. So there's it's, a lot of it, cost savings there. I'm just talking about. I'm just talking through it here. Drafting them seems fine. It's, it was just unusual to see three of them, I think, go in the fourth round as opposed huge, to the fifth or the sixth. Kickers and punters. Yeah. There was a bunch. Yeah. There was, I think there was a kicker and two punters went in the fourth round. And then we didn't get one again until six, and that was punt god, quote-unquote, Matt Ariza from Austin, yeah. San Diego State, Aztecs. I think there, there's um, – it gets when you're a good team. I think sometimes it's very tricky to maintain your success because uh, the Bills might be a good example, right? Their second pick was James Cook. 
the running back out of Georgia, who on this current roster, we talked all about it yesterday. Yeah, you know, nice little something they don't have, but he's a running back. Like if you get too into that mix and you start drafting kickers and drafting running backs early and just trying to fill these niche roles too early, Sam, at some point that roster starts to get depleted, depleted, depleted. Like you got to keep your foot on the gas, right? And still, hey, we got three corners. We're still going to take a fourth because the guy's really good. You got to take the high value position still. And I don't know if the Bucks are starting to get into that. Like, oh, we'll get the pass catching running back. We're going to get the blocking tight end because Brady's going to be gone soon. And if they don't get a quarterback, the roster's eh, not going to look the same. So I think that's where the Bucks. The Bills, like some of these teams that are already good, the curse of being good is sometimes it might take you down too much of these, uh, you know, posi- uh, rotational player paths when you still have to try to get starters, even if there's not a path to start right away. That all makes sense? Mm-hmm. Under two hours. Perfect. Where did the Bucks finish? 14th? Yeah, middle of the pack somewhere. They're solid. It was fine. It was a decent draft. I, as I say, I, th- I like what they did in trading out of the first round when all the guards got taken and they, they, wouldn't, they would have had to reach to grab one. I think that worked well because um, I was wondering, too, if they were going to get desperate. when that Because the run, the run at guard started at 15. Yeah. There were guys going at 15, Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson at 17, that um, many people expected the Bucks to have an opportunity at at 27. Absolutely. And I thought they did a good job. And then, there. dude, when the Patriots are selecting Cole Strange, that must have just been like, oh, God, like, what is happening? All yeah. of the interior offensive Well, they had traded out by that time, so they did not value Cole Strange as their starting guard. At that's true. But that's the other – I mean, that's the, that's the other knock on the Patriots thing, right? I have no idea where Luke Gadecki graded on the Patriots board. Uh, he might not be a fit for their gap scheme. He might not be a fit personality-wise, whatever it is. But are we 100% certain, certain that Cole Strange is a better player than Luke Gadecki? Uh, oh. Nobody is. So, work the board. All right, good job. Good job, Sam. You too. 75% of the way there now. We got 24 teams done. Eight more to go tomorrow. We're going to be live on YouTube, 10.30 a.m. Be sure to join us. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Go listen to the old episodes. Take your time. Work your way through it. Uh, next week, quick uh, scheduling update here. We're going to be going back. To two shows a week. So two okay. shows a week, Monday and Thursday. I'm gonna make the. I'm gonna have to make a pivot with the uh, the outfit for the the Jackson Mahomes TikTok because the thing that I ordered off Amazon to complete the outfit turns out it isn't gonna show up till like June sometime. I'm just oh. not waiting that long. So I'm gonna I'm gonna improvise. Put on a Mahomes jersey. No, no, that's not the. But I'm, I'm, I got it. You got I'm it. Improvise. When are you doing this? Uh, probably next week sometime. All right. And then you're off on the, the road trip. Yeah, at some point. All right. I'm going to miss a couple shows next week, too. I think we're going on vacation. Still final, finalizing the exact days. And then we'll go. i got to find some guests. Let me know. Who would you like to hear as a guest? I'm going to try to get Big Rick. i got to talk to my friend Rick Spielman. See if he, he wants to be on there. Oh, gosh. And then uh, who would you like to hear as a guest with me? Hmm. Mark Brunel, like who else? Who else besides Mark Brunel? How long, how long into a Mark Brunel podcast would it be before Mark just wanted to end the call of his life? You know, based off our handshake interaction at the combine, wouldn't like, take long. Less than two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark doesn't have time. Unfortunate for like a two-hour podcast. Mark's head, he's just he's trying to figure out how do I get Jared Goff to play better. You know, he's he's in a different world. Mm. Doesn't care. 
I don't think he wants to relive the glory days. With no. <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe not enough people ask it's him about the mid-90s I Jack. wouldn't imagine many people on the Lions staff were asking him, look, just tell me about that, that game and the wild cards. You know. How about the divisional round against the Broncos? Leaving over, dude. People aren't asking him that anymore. Yeah. He's probably loving that conversation. I won't bring up that he threw end zone inter- interceptions in each of his AFC championship games. Yeah, I wouldn't. I will not bring that up. Hurts. Hurts still when I go back and see it. Did you see Ryan Tannehill talking about, not just talking about, hey, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. He was apparently also talking about how he basically... I want to discuss that, though. Should I? We already did, didn't we? Tannehill? Yeah. That's how we got the Kurt Warner tweet in there. It was Tannehill that said it. And then Kurt Warner said, I don't get this not mentoring thing. Here, reach out to me if you want mentorship. When did we talk about that? Yesterday. And then you were winching it. Well, Kurt runs a business. We've had this whole conversation Oh, already. we did, yeah. This is our six of six. Here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Tannehill was saying that he was so, like, broken by losing in the playoffs that he basically needed therapy to get over. Like this past year? Yeah. Like, went to a dark place, needed, like, extensive therapy to get out to the other side of defeat. Which hmm. is... Pretty big statement for an NFL quarterback to be making. It is. I think you're starting to see more of the that with the mental health stuff. And, yeah. Um, teams, by the way, I'll just say this too. Teams teams have a big role in that, and they're taking on a bigger role on having support systems for players and basically trying to handle those situations better and better. And that's like the leadership, the, the guys that we talk about who are picking players and all that stuff. It's part of their role too. General mm-hmm. managers and assistant GMs and head coaches, a part of it's all of that and being the support system for, for players when they need it. But, um, yeah, it's, I, that was part of that, that interview with Tannehill, yeah? Yeah, I just thought that was a pretty big thing to bring up and put out there. I don't know if a lot of people would have been happy saying that. Yeah. Well, then don't ask him to be a QB coach, too. I'm not there to mentor anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, we've had I do remember now I said I'm not here to drag you. Yeah. Drag you through. Uh-huh. Figure it out. All right, that's it. We'll see you guys tomorrow.